tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, LGBTQ plus organisation disappointed at calls for children not to be taught about trans issues. Uh, Dr. Eugene O'Brien on that ongoing controversy about the Roald Dahl books. Uh, still no progress on new units at St. Patrick's Hospital for older people in Cashel. Should all restaurants be obliged to serve vegan food? We'll be chatting about that. Our solicitor John Lynch will be with us on the subjects of co-ownership agreements and building contracts as well. And how artificial intelligence can get you a job or indeed replace you. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We have a lovely prize for you. The Marty Party is coming to Limerick for the first time ever to the University Concert Hall this coming Friday. And we have a pair of tickets to give away on the show every single day this week. Of course, the Marty Party hosted by Marty Morrissey. And we'll be speaking to him on the programme uh, tomorrow. But those tickets based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp, whether you're joining in our conversations or coming up with something new. But if you put the Marty Party at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in the draw. Quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Right across the newspapers, we're reading that coalition leaders have decided not to extend the ban on evictions, which is due to expire at the end of the month. And that's following late night uh, talks. And the shock decision came after the Attorney General Last night warned senior members of the government that an extension of the ban would not survive a legal challenge. So that's a headline of the Daily Mail and as I say right across the front pages of the newspapers today. The Irish Independent telling us that Gardaí have uh, harvested CCTV footage from businesses in a nearby village as they investigate the murder of Mayo farmer John Brogan. Uh, it has emerged that the man arrested over the killing had been in a pub earlier in the day and had a row with a person well known to the victim. The Irish Times, again that story about evictions not being extended. Also, and uh, Pat brought you this story uh, during news, it will be several weeks before technology to force drones from the skies around Dublin Airport is up and running with its deployment, depending on delivery time from the manufacturers. We have been extremely tardy about dealing with that issue of drones in uh, our major airports. Um, So hopefully something will be done very soon indeed. The Irish Examiner uh, telling us that primary school pupils will be taught foreign languages from third class onwards and schools will be given the freedom to reduce religious learning under sweeping reforms uh, proposed for the curriculum. So uh, that's on the Examiner today. Again, more coverage of that um, phased protection as eviction ban nears end. So let's look at what's making headlines in your papers. Today, if you want to comment on any of those headlines, 0833113311. Now, Belong To, a national organisation that supports LGBTQ plus young people, has expressed disappointment at calls from the Catholic Primary Schools Management Association for children not to be taught about transgender issues. 
Minaya uh, Griffith is the CEO of Belong, and she joins me now. Good morning to you, Minaya. And Good uh, thank you very much indeed for for coming on with us today. I th- I think I've mispronounced your your, your name is Monina. Monina. No worries. I, so. I do Fine. beg your pardon. Um, <laughs> no you, you, your organisation is deeply disappointed with the comments from the CPSMA. Why is that? Well, look, yeah, I mean, look, trans people are already um, facing disproportionate rates of discrimination and bullying. So statements like uh, the recent one was very. Uh, disappointing and, and problematic, I have to say, uh, language further um, alienates or others, trans people. So first thing I'd like to say this morning, Fran, is to the mums and dads and the grannies and granddads all around Tipperary listening who have trans young people in their families is that we're with you and we know how hurtful um, these statements were. But just to say that we got an outpouring of support yesterday from people all over um, the country saying that they didn't agree with this statement. I think what 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 um, uh, is clear is that there are lots of people in Ireland who don't understand what being transgender is. And so um, naturally there's some confusion. It, it seems like something new. Um, so I would say to those people to go onto our website, belongto.org, or go onto the HSC. They've got a great website parents you can go on and, and read about what it means to be trans and you know it's just another part of this wonderful thing of being a human being some people are, yeah. are trans you know part of the issue I think as well Manina is that um, there was no clarity on how trans teaching could be introduced in in the primary schools do you think that was part of the issue um, well, it was, if, if that was the case, then the statement is like a, a, a malice to a peanut, you know. Um, there isn't guidance in that, but that's something that, the, that there are, you know, people like the, the, the people who develop the national curriculum um, are, are well able to do. I, I think we should leave it uh, to them uh, with the support of, of mm. um, the public, obviously, to, to develop that. I mean, I imagine when you're talking to five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds about it, it should be something along, along the lines of some people are born boys, some people are born girls, and some people are born um, somewhere along that. Right. Um, so that a, very sim- a very simple, simple approach. To simple. Think, yes. That's all. Because it, in the same way as, you know, I, I don't know how old you are, but when I was growing up, there were, there were very, there was only white faces in our school in our school books. Yeah. There were no families that were any way different from the, the mom and the dad and, and the, the, the three children and the dog, you know. And, and we know now that that's, you know, that, that, it, that doesn't reflect the population of Ireland, the com- community in Ireland and how our families are and, and how our communities are. So really it's only about including so that, that there's visibility and that trans young people um, and indeed young people in school who are trans parents feel included, feel very safe and supported and that they belong in school. I'm not sure how scientific it is, but we discussed this on the programme yesterday and far and away the amount of people that made contact with us did have serious issues with this. Would that surprise you to know that? Um, it would... It would it wouldn't surprise me that lots of people don't know or don't understand um, what transgender is. It's in the same way as maybe 50 years ago here in Ireland, people really didn't understand what being gay or lesbian was. 
Mm. Um, so I think, you know, people just really, it's up to individuals just to really go and, and read up on it and understand. And trans people around since the dawning of time, we just didn't really have the language to describe um, that experience, that life experience. And, and you know, for very good reasons, trans people kept that, that information personal and, and confidential because they were afraid of, you know, being ostracised, being imprisoned or, or even being murdered. Nowadays, thankfully, um, in, you know, in Ireland, we're moving in the direction of a more inclusive, more diverse, more accepting um, uh, attitude towards um, lots of different people who aren't exactly like us. Um, so, uh, so uh, you know, that's what I would say to people. Just go on our website, belongto.org, or the HSC mm. website, and, and read more about uh, and it. And just to inform yourself, I, I'd love to know what you say to their claim about the growing psychological contagion, as as they call it. And they give some figures uh, about that, in, in fact. What about that? That, you know, maybe maybe kids who are vulnerable, maybe going through a bad time, so maybe might see themselves as wanting to be part of some some tribe, some, some, some grouping that might embrace them in some way. What about that, Manonia? Well, I have to say, first of all, that, that language is even very spooky and something like something from a science fiction movie or Orwellian or something contagion like we're talking about people not monsters or not a disease nothing wrong it's not an illness being Mm. trans the other thing is these are the kind of things that we heard before marriage marriage equality referendum oh sure if you know if you allow gay people get married then everybody won't want to be getting gay married do you know what I mean it just doesn't make sense that's fear that comes from a place of fear and ignorance not right. based on facts. And, and when they give you the sort of stats about the huge increase in uh, young people um, identifying as trans, I mean, would your answer to that be that in the past they might have felt that they couldn't express that? Um, Absolutely. Right. Absolutely bang on. Look, the, you know, the less than 1% of the global population are trans, but that's still, you know, if you're talking in, a, you know, a country of 4 million people, uh, it still means that there are still significantly... Uh, significant numbers of trans people who aren't out because they're afraid of uh, the discrimination or the bullying that they may, may face. So, you know, the, the numbers we're seeing, and, and by the way, they're tiny. I mean, we're not talking about, like, hundreds in every school. But you might have in a school, you might, might have, a, you know, a, a, a few uh, uh, trans young people coming out. Um, and because there were none, maybe, 10 years ago, it may feel like, there's a lot, but it's in, in, you know, it really isn't. And all it means is that thankfully we're moving to a place where these young people don't have to feel shame or stigmatized or stigmatized for being who they are. It's interesting. Uh, one of our listeners pointed out that uh, one of the headlines I've read, I, I think you might have heard me do some of the headlines in the papers, but um, in the examiner today it said primary school pupils will be taught foreign languages and it goes on to say that they'll be given the freedom to reduce religious learning under sweeping uh, uh, reforms proposed for the curriculum. Now that is something that people bring up and did yesterday as well, this reduction of religious learning and possibly the introduction of a better understanding of trans. And and they would see that, or some people might see that as replacement in some way and be offended by that. And I'd love your opinion on that, Menina. Well, I think it's about choice, isn't it? Um, But the reality is, I know myself, I I have a a nine-year-old. I'm lucky to live in uh, an area where I've 
lots of choice when it comes to schools uh, for primary schools. But but a lot of people don't have that choice mm. because ninety percent of our, our primary schools are um, uh, still connected with the, the the Roman Catholic Church. So I think it's about choice. Um, I would choose um, probably to have I, for me. I would prefer my child to be learning um, um, languages in school. Um, but others may choose that they would prefer religion, and and, and that's the that's that I think that they I would defend their right to be able to send their children to schools where they can get religious edu- uh, um, education. In my child's school, she's educated about lots of different religions. Right. So to, um, to have have choice there. Uh, the only thing that well, one of the many things that interests me about this discussion, though, and, I, and again, I'd love your opinion on it. And and this is coming from the CP. SMA as well. And they're saying they believe a more prudent and sensible policy is to teach children to respect every human being and to allow children to be children. If you take that on face value, there's not an awful lot wrong with that because if there was um, a respect for every human being, um, we wouldn't have any issue really. Well, absolutely. You said it there. So, I mean, they should just follow their own advice really. And by throwing a shot across the bow here, um, what are you saying, that they're not following their own advice? I don't think so. I mean, as somebody who was raised from Catholic myself, I don't think the language in their statement yesterday was very Christian. Um, I mean, for me, it just felt like that they were trying to dehumanise and um, uh, trans people and alienate them and other them and cause some sort of... um, fear, I suppose, amongst people who don't understand what being trans is. So I think they, they you know, listening, going back to the, the, the their own tenets and their own uh, values around, um, you know, what, what, what Jesus taught about uh, loving everybody. I think that would be, it would be a good idea to take that advice. Right, but I suppose that they might argue that their point is that it would be more prudent to teach the kids to just love everybody without going into the nitty-gritty um, of complex issues. Now, don't shoot the messenger. I'm, I'm making the point that yeah, they might make yeah, to you. Yeah. No, I, I totally get you. But but we've heard these arguments time and time again. Anytime the the, 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 the hierarchy do not want to talk about an issue, be it being gay, being having um, a child um, outside marriage, uh, be it um, uh, um, reproductive rights, whatever it is, let's just not talk about it. Because if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Well, that's just not true. It's just not true because all of these things are part of our lives, our, our wonderful human existence. And if you don't talk about them, all you do is further stigmatise and, and, and make people uh, whose lives, um, you know, who are trans, who are uh, gay, who have families um, um, that don't conform with the, the family that they think is the best way, they just feel ostracised and they feel ashamed. And we know in Ireland with the, the, the high rates of suicide and, and, and mental health problems. But shame is a killer. Shame is, a, is such a big cause of, of, of mental health problems in Ireland. So thankfully, I think that most of, of most of the Irish population are moving away from that and saying, no, it's the best thing to be able to talk about things, get things out in the open, um, you know, face facts, talk about life and it's all its wonderful messiness and not try and hide away things just because 
you know, some hierarchy, whatever that hierarchy may be, is telling us not mm. to talk about it. They're, they're a powerful group, though, Maninia. I mean, 89% of primary schools, as you said, almost 90%. Um, it makes them very powerful, doesn't it? it? It does, but we are the people, you know, and so we make the choices and um, uh, uh, we, we've shown that time and time again in, in recent referenda, recent changes, recent attitudes, you know, polling in relation to... Um, um, lots of different issues and, and um, on lots of different life experiences, thankfully. So, um, you know, I, I think we, we can vote by, by our feet. But the, the, the big problem is that we don't have that choice in, in terms of schools for our children. I, I think that really needs to change. Really good to talk to you today. And we appreciate your time, Maninia. Thank you so much. Thank you. And good My morning pleasure. to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Maninia Griffith there, the CEO of Belong. Uh, speaking to us there about that controversy that erupted over the last uh, few days where the Catholic primary school leaders rejecting the minister's call for transgender education. 1800-938-007. The text to WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now John joins me. John, good morning to you. Top of the morning to you, sir. How are you doing? Top of the morning to you as well, John. I know that you want to talk specifically about um, the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. But first of all, could I ask you about our previous guest, uh, Meninia, who was speaking to us there about the Catholic primary school leaders rejecting mm-hmm. the call for transgender uh, education. What, what do you make of that, John? Well, I listened to her contribution there. And um, I think that's what, what the Catholic Association has said. I would stand by that because uh, what I don't like is very young, impressionable children of primary school age, Fran, <clears throat> being subjected, like you mean, to outside forces and to being uh, subjected to dealing with uh, issues that I think their young minds are, are uh, susceptible, like you mean, you know, and I think a child should be a child as long as it can be, both boy and girl, right? I think when you get into secondary school, that's a different kettle of fish altogether, right? But I think very young children of four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I don't agree with teaching them about LGBT, about trans or anything like that. I think their their young minds are in their young bodies are just in the world. Give them a chance to be a child. It's they'll be long enough in the world, friend, like you and me, when they'll be battled from outside forces, inside forces, whatever forces will come at them, right? And try to deal with life in general will be hard enough when you become an adult. Mm. So a child to me should be a child as long as I possibly can. I don't see any demonstrations outside Schools in Tipperary, in Cork or Dublin or right around the country, I don't see hundreds of parents queuing up saying that they want religion gone over the schools, that they, they want all the stuff taught to their very young, impressionable children. I don't see it. And where, where is it coming from then, do you think, John? Well, I, 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 you see, there's just two ways of looking at this. I, I think for years, 
It's been building from within a lot of parties from the left. I know it has kind of spread into the mainstream parties, that which be Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Greens, whatever, and Sinn Féin, that uh, I think um, the threat is coming from within. And it's this whole idea that, I mean, we must change everything now. I mean, you know, everything we had, every value, Christian value, uh, all type of values that we had, are now starting to be kind of old hat. And we must all be this, so we must be that. Well, in Saturday, the last time we looked, like, I mean, this was still a Christian country, like, I mean, I don't, as I said, again, repeating, mm. I don't see a big clamour for to get rid of, close all Catholic schools. I mean, it's association of Catholic schools in the morning, said to the Taoiseach, friend, I'll tell you what, like, we don't agree with this, and if you're going to force this kind of stuff on, on all very impressionable pupils, right, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to close all the Catholic schools, right, and over to you now, uh, Taoiseach and Tarnish, to get your own schools. You can now educate the children of Ireland because we are now closing our schools. Because 89% of the primary schools, as I yeah. said, being so made, made up. Yeah. What happens then? Well, of course, all of those primary schools are, are funded to a huge extent by by the state. It's not as if the funding is coming from someplace, someplace else, John. I understand that, but I mean, like I mean, as I said again, I don't see any any great clamour by parents, like I mean, to change what's been proposed by people that seem to be continuously mm. battering, like you mean. Well, to could get could I put could I put uh, Manina's point to you? And she said, you know, that it should be age related, that it should be a simple. A simple approach to this that, you know, there's boy and girl, but there's also people out there who identify differently. And the only reason why I might go along with it to some degree in the argument is that they're going to be confronted with this all the time now anyway, John, and they have to be helped to understand what they're being confronted with. Yeah, but again, like, why, why, why would you put that into the, sow that seed in a very young person? Well, will they not? Is it not on their phones already, John? Is it not on TV programs? Ad, look at advertising lately. I mean, it's reflected in all Well, well again, that, 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 that's outside forces again, as I said. You're inside and outside forces yes. battering your children. I mean, it's very hard. Like, I mean, but to help them to understand it, I mean, in, in a gentle sort of way, that, that might be the argument. Well, well I, look, it's up to parents, like, I mean, to bring up their own children. Mm. Like, I mean, and to keep them safe from the world. I mean, you shouldn't be giving very young children smartphones anyway. That's a given. You've often dealt with that mm. and other problems yeah. have dealt with us. I don't agree with that. Like, I mean, that's where you have to keep people. You're the parent at the end of the day, so you don't give your four, five, six, seven, eight year old a smartphone that they can get on the internet and God knows what they're looking at. Yeah, but regretfully, I mean, even if you don't give them a phone, they're going to have a look at somebody else's phone or they'll have access to somebody else's screen. And, do you know, this is all around them now and I think they need help to to understand. But you see, again, that, that, that's with great suspect. That, that seems to me like throwing in the towel, like just kind of, uh, saying, like, I mean, I should look, they're oh. all at it, or they're all doing this, or they're all doing that, and sure, what can you do? Their friends are doing this stuff. I'm sorry, at the end of the day, you're the parent, and it doesn't matter what the friends are doing. I mean, you're the parent of the child. It's up to you to bring up your family your way and to keep them safe. Yeah, but the the main issue that you were going to talk to us about, about today, for instance, was the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And I think you might have had issues with some of the PR around that and some of the images around that. And does that not play into our, our conversation that kids are going to look at these images of whether it's trans or it's drag or it's whatever? And, well, and do they need help to understand this? Because it can't be avoided, John. Well, here we go, you know, uh, let's concentrate on the Dublin Parade now. I mean, yeah. because uh, at the lunch, there were Catherine Martin, the tourist minister now, and the Lord Mayor of Dublin. There was a couple of photographs there, and they were put up online uh, at the start of the lunch, right? Yes. The Paddy's, you know, I know it's a garden, not, not Paddy's Day anymore, Patrick's Day. It's a festival now, which goes right over the weekend, right? Mm. Um, 
I didn't agree with the photographs. A lot of people didn't agree with them. Like there wasn't there wasn't uh, one sign or ounce of Christianity. There was no sign of Saint Patrick. Um, he was wearing green. Catherine Martin, the Lord Mayor, was wearing green. You had flamingo dancers there uh, with all their colours. I mean, you had the people wearing uh, demonic uh, headgear. Mm. I mean, with horns. You had transvestites. I mean, men in fishnet tights and whatever. What the hell is that got to do with Patrick's there? I mean, this again, there's children going to be standing in the streets of Dublin and they're going to be looking at this like, I mean, this is not part of our culture. This is not all about Paddy's Day. Paddy's Day is just as St. Patrick, everyone wearing green, leprechauns, the whole day, idly, idly. It's a festival of being celebrating, of being Irish, right? If you want to have the gay parade and you want to dress in fishnet tights, which I think, don't agree with either because I think a lot of this stuff is feeding into the homophobia out there, uh, friend, and unfortunately some poor uh, person male or female in the street is going to be at the brunt of this. Well, well you're right about that because the images generated a huge amount of hate, uh, on, particularly on Twitter. I mean, really, really. Yeah, and, and the problem is like recently you know, there was a young lad in Cockhill going home like, I mean, and he just is very flamboyant I know the guy to see. And like, I mean, a guy broke his jaw. Just because he was just like that, I mean, which is an absolute disgrace. If I saw him being attacked in the street, I even do, I, and I felt that young man like, and that has taught him. But this kind of stuff, like, I mean, including the Panthers there for it, it's, it's highlighting the homophobia. It's causing homophobia and has no place in the Panthers there for it. Right, and can I put what the Culture Minister, Catherine Martin, said? She said that uh, St. Patrick's Day is an inclusive international festival and a celebration of Irish identity in all of its forms. Well, Irish identity to me is not people going around dressed with demonic headgear or men wearing uh, fishnet tights and, and trans and all that, like, and on a floor and Paddy's there. That's not part of being Irish. Mm. I'm sorry, like, it's not. There's a time and a place for that, and it's not the Paddy's Day parade. Well, you say they, they would argue with you that, you know, being trans, uh, being a drag queen, uh, all of these things, that's very much part of being Irish, now. You know, Irish people are. You know? Yeah, but you see, the, the problem is, as I said, it's feeding into what's out there, like, I mean, and it's causing homophobia. And as I said, unfortunately, mm. the people that... Well, that, that's that not really part, your problem with it, though, John, is it? Well, I, I just think there's no place. I, I think this is a festival. And number one, it's, it, it lets me answer last time I looked at it. I mean, that it, it says, it's like the fellow says, I mean, it, it says what it says on the tin. Mm. I mean... St. Patrick, like, I mean, it's a Christian, it's an Irish festival, but it's also a Christian festival. There was a group wanted to march, and uh, they marched uh, before the COVID here in Cork, a religious group, and now they played this year to march, no right, I mean, and they would be carrying crucifix and stuff like that, and they were refused. Why was that? A religious group was refused? Yeah, they were refused. Why was that? I mean, it's a Christian festival. Know. And why do you think they were refused? Well, I think because it doesn't fit the agenda. But yet, I mean, every everyone coming in, there was a guy on recently, and everyone is welcome to come in and, and practice their religion. But there was a guy in the network recently, I heard there, a Muslim imam, and he was delighted when he said that this is a great country because he can practice his religion openly here. That's grand, isn't it? Great that we're accommodating. But yet I can't go to Mecca, I can't go to Qatar, Saudi Arabia, put a star out in the street on the crucifix, and if the mob don't get me, the police will take me off the street. Right, but that makes us 
you know, inclusive people and prepared to embrace an inclusive. I mean, that that has to be a badge of honour for us. It does, you see, but the trouble is, like, I mean, there, there, there is, uh, there's both an attack from within and from below because we can see what's happening in Europe as well. The whole idea in Europe has started with the one currency, friend. Like, I mean, it's attacked, like, I mean, get rid of all national governments and have only one government in Europe that side. It's not too long ago, Michal Martin stood up in the dial and said he didn't believe in backward looking sovereignty. Well, I'm sorry, Michal Martin, right? Tarnished at the moment, right? I consider myself a Republican, right? Mm. I'm a sovereign Irish Republican, right? Belong to the Irish Republic, like everyone listening here this morning, right? And for that man to say that, like, I mean, it, to me, it bothered traitorism. Right, but you see, there's an element of truth to what he's saying because, you know, a lot of what we do now uh, are laws even dominated by European law. But you see, this is the thing. I mean, that's the whole idea. Get rid of any sovereignty. But, I mean, what, but sure, it's, it, al- it's almost gone, is it not? I mean, we have very little sovereignty as it is. And certainly from from the Big Bang uh, in 2008, we lost quite quite a lot of our sovereignty. And I'm yeah, not sure I mean, how much of it we've regained even uh, now. If, if I want to follow that logic, friend, we might as well just scrap down here and just like, I mean, as I said, that's the agenda anywhere in Europe, anywhere. I mean, the whole thing to, to dilute all national governments, right? That's why it suits Europe, the European Union at the moment and the people over there to all this movement of people right around Europe. I mean, so it dilutes national sovereignty. Like, that's what they want. Can I bring to you, maybe you've seen the examiner today, but uh, I read it as part of our, our, our headlines earlier on. Primary school pupils, I think, is a good thing. They're going to be taught foreign languages from third class. I think that's a very good thing. But uh, I was interested in the other line, I'd love your opinion on it, they will be given the freedom to reduce religious learning under sweeping reforms proposed for the curriculum. Um, what about that? Well, you see, here we go again. This is more of it again. This is an attack again, uh, I believe, and because Christianity, last time we looked, was part of our culture. This is another dilution mm. of that again. See, it's a new culture now. It's a new... I mean, we have to embrace everything. It's secular. It's, it's uh, multi-ethnic. It's, you know... But you see, that's the problem. I mean, like, I mean, we're losing our identity slowly. Like, and, and as I said, friend, and I keep repeating this mantra, the threat is coming from both within, from our own uh, political, so-called political parties, right? And from, you know, from outside, you know, and mm. I don't like it, and a lot of people don't like it, and it's upsetting. Yeah, but I mean, there's cross-party agreement. Uh, the the um, t- Leo Radcar came out and he said we need to teach children about what it means to be trans, and there was no disagreement from from the cabinet on that. There was no disagreement from from the opposition on this. So this is no, a- no. Well, you see, the thing is, I've worked with the same-sex marriage because I, I, anything that will help people to come to terms with their sexuality, that's why I've worked for it. Like. But it's obviously Leo Varadkar, like, as a gay man, like, has an agenda himself. What, what what is that agenda? Do you think? Well, his agenda would be because he's a gay man. Like him, he wants he wants to push more of this kind of stuff, like on people, whether you like it or not. Well, I'm right. sorry. Right. Again, that, that's feeding into the homophobia. You, you, you voted for more freedoms for for gay people. I did, but I, not, not to be pushing it into very young, impressionable people's faces, young young children in schools, but, and and also like taking yeah. out the Christian message. And look, it's not too long ago since the, there was a proposal to get rid of the prayer and the doll. I yeah. mean, let's be honest. I mean, you see, this is it again. It's a constant chipping away all the time. But yes, nobody will say dares open their mouth against other religions, even now in this country, right now, and around the world, for fear of something might happen. But it's open season in this country, and right around the world now, and Christianity, and I don't like it. Would you be surprised to learn that yesterday, following our discussion about um, teaching uh, trans issues in primary schools, 100% of what we got in was disagreeing with that notion. Does that surprise you? 
No, it doesn't, no. No, no, no whatsoever. And this morning I'm looking at the screen, most of the people in disagreeing with uh, Menina, who spoke to me earlier on, and saying that you're 100% right. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. As I said, look, just scratch the surface. As I said, I don't see big demos outside the schools for all this constant change taking the, the, the Catholic message. So are you schools. saying politicians do not have their finger on the pulse of... They don't, they don't. As I said, they're setting their own agendas, like, and they expect everyone else to follow them. I'm sorry. The people are sovereign and the people decide. John, it's always good to talk to you. We appreciate Thank you. it. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. How about you now? John speaking to us this morning. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, on the programme a couple of weeks ago, we discussed that announcement that the works of Roald Dahl uh, had undergone hundreds of changes by the rights holders, Puffin Books, in an effort to remove words or imagery that could be deemed offensive. Now, the move sparked quite a lot of critique and uh, we had a, a couple of discussions on this programme uh, about it. And now we're hearing that there will be two versions of the Dal uh, collection made available to people. Dr Eugene O'Brien is the head of English Language and Literature at Mary Eye in Limerick and uh, joins me now. Eugene, good morning to you. Hi, your friend. And thanks very much indeed for coming on with thanks us for today. Me. You've written a, a, a great opinion piece about this. Now, one of the... <laughs> you're slightly cynical like myself in it where you say that, you know, all of this discussion did not do any harm at all to the marketing of the Dal uh, books. But besides that, let's just talk about what's been happening here. Do you agree with that notion that we can rewrite literature in some way? No. I, I would be very... I would be very agreeable to the idea that, you know, the old staying six is under break my bones mm. and names will never hurt me. I don't think that's true. I think names can make us not want to go out of our house. They can bully us. They can damage our self-image. So I would be very much in favour, and like I, I'll pin my colours to the match to, to the mass here, I'd be in favour of people choosing their own pronouns, of gender identity, transformation, of people not um, being forced to fit into constraints that we would have thought before. So I'd be very much in favour of all of that. My problem with this is that what we're doing is we're rewriting the past. So if you look, say, at, at the culture that Roald Dahl was writing in, where you can call people fat, you know, and you can call people ugly if you want to, and that's fine. That's where we were. And if you rewrite those to make it seem that that wasn't the case, any progress we've made is suddenly taken away. And I mean, I know a lot of people feel that we're in a much more uncertain world now and that, you know, nothing is sure anymore and the old certainties are gone. But when anyone says that to me, and I get a lot of that in English because we would be very much in favour of, of change and stuff like that. Um, I always say, well, that old world brought us, you know, clerical abuse, the Magdalene laundries, like grinding poverty, um, stigma, illegitimacy. If we rewrote all that. If we said none of that was true, Magdalene laundries were nice places where everybody kind of, you know, just kind of washed their clothes and came out clean and where illegitimacy wasn't something that was a huge stigma that blighted your life and a lot of people had to emigrate to get rid of it. Our sense of where we are now and the journey we're going on wouldn't work. And you might say, well, it's a big step from rewriting stuff in a made-up book to rewriting history. But I think we've all seen how history can be rewritten quite easily. And I feel that 
to get a good sense of where we are in the present, we need to look at those offensive words and those offensive attitudes that weren't seen as offensive, you know, back in mm. the day. And, and that traces how we moved. Like yourself, like I hadn't talked about Roald Dahl in, I'd say, 10, yes. 15 years. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a huge... Some some publisher is rubbing his or her hands in glee here because not only are they reissuing one set of Dahl books, they're now reissuing two, two sets. So it's, it's very smart. And, and I know it's a real coincidence, but, but there's <laughs> there's a Roald Dahl uh, stage musical being presented at the moment as shocker. well. So, so there's, there's a real shocker for you. Do you think, then, that we should just teach kids critical thinking when they, when they read? Yeah. I do. I, I think the value, I mean, I, I like I said it in, in, in the piece I wrote, that books that were massively popular in their own context, you know, someone like Thackeray, who was huge, someone like yeah. Dickens, who was huge, and who wasn't high culture, who was popular culture, who serialized in magazines, yeah, yeah, and papers, everybody yeah. read them, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of these people aren't as popular now, except in BBC adaptations, because first of all, they're too long, and people just aren't willing to engage with the language in them. I think one of the big things about reading is showing you different points of view. So if I read a book uh, narrated by an African woman, it puts me in her head to some degree, some greater or lesser degree. If I read a piece by, you know, somebody from Ukraine at the minute, it gives me an imaginative sense of empathy with that person. And I think the critical thinking aspect of it is that's the value of what we do. We, we teach people how to think critically, that there are different points of view. It's the antidote to Twitter where, you know, we get into an argument and, you know, by the time we hit the fourth tweet, I'm calling you a Nazi or you're calling me a Nazi and there we go. Um, what we're trying to teach, I suppose, in, in, in English and in literature in general would be critical thinking and a more nuanced approach that the notion of one single truth that you can, you know, rip the skin apart and find it like the the seed at the middle of a piece of fruit. I, mean, I don't think that's there. I think it's more like an onion. You're You're layering and de-layering to come to some agreed notion and that notion may change. We we might think it's very recent but uh, I, I don't think so because Enid Blyton would have gotten me through a rather miserable childhood, Eugene, and um, that, that suffered from a rewrite about what is it, 15 years ago now as well? Yeah, and again, I wouldn't agree with that in the slightest. Yeah. I mean, yes, she used words like gollywogs yes, and she yeah. used terms that we now find offensive but they weren't found offensive by the people reading them then. And that her her use of those things, which popularized and encultured them, like, that's part of the journey that we're on. I mean, I was watching with my family reruns of the old Dad's Army um, yes. yeah. program, which which was dated like when it was made, so it hasn't dated much anymore. And it's, it's very human. It's very decent. They're good people. They're doing their best. They're very funny. But, you know, Corporal Jones keeps talking about fuzzy buzzies. Yes. And they don't like it up on Captain Mannering. I mean, is that racist? I don't know. At the time, it possibly wasn't because it was being played for laughs. Now we look at it and say, well, you're dealing about people whose country these uh, these soldiers invaded. And it's that critical thinking, and you're bang on there, Fran, it's that critical thinking that I think adds value to what we watch. I can still laugh at that and yet make the point that, well, you know, no, we wouldn't say that. Right. In this it's very it's of its time, as opposed exactly. to Exactly. Context yeah. is everything. Yeah, and where would you stop? I mean, you've written a book on, on Heaney, for example. I presume if you combed through Heaney's poetry, you might find something that somebody now might find objectionable in some way. 
There's a very famous line in one of his early poems called Punishment, where he's talking about how young women in Catholic working-class nationalist areas, if they were doing a line or keeping company with British soldiers, they would be taken tied to railings and tarred and feathered. The message being, you don't give comfort to the enemy. And Heaney talks about standing, and he compares the, these people to bog bodies that have been, been taken out of the bog thousands of years ago. One was a young girl who was killed for committing adultery. And it's always interesting, it's always girls that are killed for that. They, the, the male yes, never seems to get too much hassle from that kind of thing. But Heaney talks about he would... He would um, was that he would un- he would look in horror at the thing yet understand the exact and intimate revenge and like wow. a lot of people said whoa hang on here Seamus are you yes. kind of saying that it's okay for the provost to do this and he wasn't you couldn't have a 30 year long guerrilla war in a place where there wasn't some support and a lot of Catholics at the time are nationalists were reluctant to say it but it was there and in poetry he was able to say that in the poem whereas in his his, his lived public sphere life uh, he was quite critical of the provisional IRA and quite critical of violence as a way of achieving identity but in literature you can say that stuff it allows you to voice it and maybe be a kind of a steam valve to get it out do you know what I mean I and so yeah you're quite right you could pick anyone you'd find stuff no matter where you look and, and what I got a bit of a amusement from when I heard about what uh, the controversy over the Dal books. I mean, if if they start to look at opera... Oh, sweet God. We won't see anything on the stage whatsoever. Of course, we're seeing statues being pulled down now as well all over the place. Um, You know, some of the great so-called heroes of of the day, but now we associate them with slavery or or whatever. So this seems to be a thing of of our time. It is, and I I think what it is, in one way people like me who teach literary and cultural theory are to blame for this because we offer almost everything to critique. The other side of it is that there's a flattening going on that you know, you see it in Oxford and Cambridge. Like they'll pull down statues, but yeah. they won't dump the endowments. Yes. They won't take yes. away the money. They won't. They won't suddenly say, "Well, we're closing because our wealth or our endowment was built on slavery or was built on serf labour." So there's an element of virtue signalling going on here as well. I think young people and again I work with them all the time they're very good at that because they spot the hypocrisy and we've had a lot of that in Ireland and they spot that and they poke it and they puncture it Um, we just have to be careful I suppose that we're aware that there are contexts as well as texts and that something that was okay in its own time isn't okay now. We need to draw the line between the then and the now rather than flattening everything back to then or destroying statues or taking out words. We need to trace the journey we've made and see where we can go now because we'd still have people in 20 years' time will look back at us and say, oh my God, they said that. And it goes from there, you know. And, and that's the way it is, I suppose, is. through the generations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm also interested in what happened with with Churchill. Now, I would have never been a fan of Churchill, I have to say. But I mean, he certainly was a British hero. He went from hero to zero because people examined, I suppose, what it was that he had to say. And They did. And when, when you think back at it, I mean, one of the things that always fascinated me about Churchill, and I mean... You know, we now know he was a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. We now know. Yeah. I mean, nowadays he'd have been outed on 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 some someone's TikTok, and he'd have been left in disgrace. But he, as soon as the war was over, he was kicked out of office, yeah. which I thought was interesting at the time. That that people felt that he was fine to lead them through, but the notion of a welfare state, of a kind of a, they never used the word, but a social democratic mm-hmm. levelling up and of giving people safety nets and education, health and housing. He wasn't for that. I mean, the Tories still aren't. Um, But the people who were got in, I think that's interesting, that I think people sense at times through the rhetoric that people have 
that there's something missing there and that's something that's good for kind of everybody, you know. Do you think we'll get sense, Eugene, and this is just a passing phase or something, or will we try and interfere with even more literature as, as time goes on? I think it'll be a, it'll be a debate. I, I think we, we'll have discussions like ours, which, well, I'm in it and so are you, so I think it's very, you know, restrained and meaningful yeah. and thoughtful. Yeah. Um, I think we'll have all of those. I think that's a good thing. Like, again, it's like social media, you know, people give out and say, and I did it myself earlier on, that people will call each other Nazi and they will. But you also get fantastic stuff on it. You you get really insightful, good, decent opinion and thought-provoking stuff. I think we're in a a public sphere now where we no longer really listen to our politicians for moral or ethical advice. We don't listen to our church. I'm not sure who we listen to. So a lot of stuff is debate, and debate is always going to be push and pull. So I think we're going to try and get sense in spots, and then we're going to go wrong in spots, and then we're going to come back in spots. But I think the key is kind of respectful discussion about it. And if you're a publisher, publish two sets of books because, you know, it makes more money. <laughs> oh, you old cynic, you. Before I let you go, can I just ask you, because I'd love your opinion on this, um, because, uh, you know, you're head of English language and literature at Mary I, and I'm wondering about the, well, I, I'm showing my own conservatism here, the damage done to the English language through social media, and particularly, I suppose, through Twitter and, you know, rewriting uh, language in a lot of ways. Does that concern you? Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, we all our students are, are you know, very active. But it means now, it's students now are writing more than they ever wrote. Now, you might say, yeah, but they're writing in textiles or yeah. they're writing in slang. I always compare that when I talk, and most of our students are, are we have a huge female quotient in, in Mary I. We're getting more guys into the BA and B.Ed., but the vast majority are still women. And I'd always say to them, well, you know, the way you're dressed here is kind of student style. Would you dress this way for going out at night time? They'd say no. And I'd say, would you dress that way or this way if you were going to an interview? And they'd say no. They're different styles. I mean, I'm actually in front of me on two screens at the minute. I'm correcting essays on Mothering Heights. It's one of the big classic books yes. of, um, of English literature. And I'm getting really top-notch, well-written, lucid, well-argued, backed up by critics, backed up by quotes from students who on their phones will be using slang, using text, using for for far, using the letter U for Y-O-U. I think they're cute enough and, and shrewd enough at this stage because they do so much writing in different fora to be to be able to pick and choose their languages. Like the standard of writing, the standard of language I'm looking at is probably better than it was 20 years ago, if I'm being really honest about is it. it? So, yeah, wow. yeah. Not a popular opinion, and my colleagues give out to me about this, but yeah. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right in front of me, and it's decent stuff. It's coherent, it's decent, it's well-argued, well-written. You know. so, so as I would see it, that butchering of the language on social media, that doesn't reflect itself in what you're seeing from your students when they're being critical about essays or whatever. No, they're, they're, they're linguistically mature enough now wow. to differentiate between the kind of language. Like, you know, we're talking now. I mean, if I was talking normally in normal conversation, I can occasionally have quite a salty vocabulary and, <laughs> and I'll put stuff in and out. And you yes. may do as well. Indeed. I'm not going to do it here. Okay. Because I'm smart enough to know that that's not going to sound good on the radio. And the students just carry that forward and do the same thing. 
Isn't that very interesting indeed, yeah? And I suppose when we look back at Old English or the English yeah. of Shakespeare or whatsoever, it, it, there is an evolution, is there not? Massive. And yeah. an awful lot of that was body in the extreme. Uh, and it, it's that's ironic right. that now we have to have 98 million footnotes to get the dirty <laughs> joke that's in, you know, the piece that he wrote <laughs> and the people that be following it on the first I think it's always evolving. It's, that's, the be- that's why I love it. It's yes. always evolving. It's always growing. We're always getting new words, losing old words, changing context. You know, it's just, it's, it's constant. Yes. But do you have some regrets that I mean you spoke about you know Dickens being popular culture in his day and uh, episodic in terms mm. of the newspapers and all whereas now we might be reading Jackie Collins <laughs> does, yeah. does that bother you? No again what you said earlier on was bang on the notion about critical thinking like the latest book I'm writing is on Russell Carroll Kelly you know Paul Howard yes, Russell course, Carroll yes. Kelly there's 25 of them I, he, I, need, I need to get this guy to stop writing because just as I get to the end he brings out another book and, you know I, I really need yes. to do something to it but I think that shows as much about Celtic he probably shows more honestly about Celtic Tiger Ireland and the snobbery that we have and the classism and our racisms indeed than you might get in so-called high culture which tend to focus on the individual and avoid that so Howard's stuff is well worth studying just as Dickens's was and again it's about critical thinking and about you know bringing something to reading these things in, in a kind of a way that tells us more about our lives and about our society as we go. Delight to talk to you today, Eugene. Thank you so much for your time. Really Thank enjoyed you. it, friend. Thank Thanks you. very Thank much. You. Have good a good morning. day. Good morning Take to care. you. You too. That's uh, Dr. Eugene O'Brien there, who is head of English uh, Language and Literature at MIC, and his students are so lucky to have that man uh, lecturing them. I'm sure you'll agree, because he's... Uh, uh, his credits are just just uh, amazing. I mean, the, the amount of stuff he's written over the years, um, absolutely fantastic. Anyway, 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is only 3311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Romina Mocha, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's the free phone number you'll be speaking to Emma. You can text on WhatsApp 083-311-3311. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, the Marty Party featuring Marty Morrissey coming to Limerick for the first time ever this coming Friday to the lovely University Concert Hall. There, we have a pair of tickets to give away on the show every day uh, this week, and we'll be speaking to Marty on the show. Uh, tomorrow. So if you want to get into the draw for those tickets, uh, it's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. Just put Marty Party or Marty's Party at the end of your contribution and we, we'll pop you in the draw. I'm delighted to do this request. It says, will you wish Alice O'Dwyer of Ash Park in Carrickinshore a very happy 101st birthday today? And seemingly she listens to the show every single morning and good wishes coming in from her friends and her neighbours.
And uh, we wish you the very best, Alice, and thank you for your loyalty to uh, the show. And I'm sure you have lots of wisdom that you've gained in those 101 years. And uh, lovely to hear about you uh, today as well. Now, lots of other stuff coming in. David in Ross Gray uh, making the point following my conversation with uh, Eugene that all the James Bond books would now have to be completely rewritten. Well, that's for certain. In fact, I'd say it might be better to dump them. <laughs> with the content and the misogyny and all of that. Um, okay, Joan was on to say, in relation to what John spoke about, I totally agree with him. And that was John who had concerns about the teaching of uh, trans issues in a primary school. Um, let us move on. There's been absolutely no progress made on plans for a new unit for older people, which will be based at St. Patrick's Hospital in Cashel. And that's despite the fact that a health forum meeting, meeting was told back in 2019 that plans would be submitted for the unit. Now, that's all according to former county councillor and health form member Tom Wood from Cashel and Tom joins me now. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today. Tom, would you just just for people who might be a bit confused, would you remind us what we were promised or what we understood was going to happen at St. Patrick's? Yeah, no problem. In fact, Fran, I was looking over my records of meetings that I attended of the health forum south in Cork over the number of years that I was on it. Mm. And just coincidentally, as you asked that question, I just had uh, a motion that I had tabled here on the 22nd of November 2018. And it was in relation to the proposed development. And the answer actually that I got on that particular day was that the national plan includes the replacement of St. Patrick's with 60 beds, that is 50 continuing care beds plus 10 dementia-specific beds. In addition, the current rehab unit of 21 beds will continue to provide services in St. Patrick's, along with St. Clair's Ward, where there's 11 dementia beds on Our Lady's Hospital campus. The design team are currently being finalised. It's expected that the statutory applications that's planning, fire certification, etc., will be made in the first or second quarter of 2019. The design should be available for review for all interested stakeholders in February 2019, and the completion date for the new build is January 2022. Now, it couldn't be more clear, could it, in fairness? It couldn't be more clear, and that is the answer directly back from one of the head officials in that particular section of of the... HSE at that particular time. The other question, of course, that arises now is, Fran, you will have seen in the response that I got there recently that, uh, of course, they've now discovered that they believe the site on St. Patrick's is not suitable. It's not big enough. It hasn't enough parking, etc. And, uh, you know, again... I, in a, a, a question on the 20th of September 2018, uh, one of the sentences is, the building project to replace St. Patrick's Cashel on the existing site in Cashel will be directed through the HSE. I specifically asked that question at that particular time because I was concerned mm. that if a, a greenfield site was needed, that that was going to delay the process. Uh, and as you can see, I was told at that particular time, no, St. Patrick's Hospital site was fine, no problems there. And here we are four, four years later, nothing happening at all. And now they're talking about the fact that St. Patrick's, they believe that the site isn't suitable. It's very disappointing for people. Is it? Well, my understanding as well, Tom, was that the money was ring-fenced at that point, or was the money, it? The money was ring-fenced at that particular time, and... Uh, in fact, I had another motion uh, tabled. Again, I was looking at it last night, Fran, around 
that particular time when the National Children's Hospital was mooted because it was going to cost an absolute bomb. Mm. And I questioned at the health forum, you know, would that put in jeopardy the development at St. Patrick's? Would the money be spent instead by the HSE on the National Children's Hospital? No way. The money was specifically there for to provide the services uh, for the elderly and Cashel St. Patrick's was one of those identified throughout the country. Now, COVID obviously interrupted work on on the project, but, I mean, that doesn't excuse what seems to me to be a complete turnaround. And what worries me is um, some correspondence back to Deputy Martin Brown that said that the HSE continues to review options regarding the development of... uh, Yeah, yeah. Now, that's that's worrying, isn't it? Yeah, well, COVID itself ran while it meant that, you know, the residents and the staff were transferred down to our ladies. Yes where they still are at the moment. Remember also that HICWA had to give them a, 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 um, a licence, basically, to use our ladies. They're now, according to the answer the other day to me, they're reapplying now for a further three-year licence from HICWA to continue using our ladies' uh, hospital on the green here in Cashel. But, I mean, during the period of COVID, there were no problems really there because that was the time, really, when all this planning, etc., etc., would have been happening. There wouldn't have been anything physical happening. And, and, and uh, so, kind of, you know, we're at the stage now where they're talking about reviewing the whole situation in relation to the provision of services for the elderly in, in, in South Tipperary. And, of course, the bottom line there is, I, I'm hearing on the, on, on, the, on the line that, in fact, they're talking about now even reducing the number of beds that would be available if, if the development ever takes place in Cashel. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's a frightening uh, suggestion when you consider, you know, that the population of the country is, 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 is actually getting older. People are living longer. There's a bigger demand, as everybody knows, around South Tipperary. Yeah. There's a bigger demand every day of the week for beds for the elderly. And there's, there's a problem there. And now they're back to square one. Uh, and, of course, we don't even know now if the funding that was available for these developments four and five years ago is still there. Well, that was going time. to be my next question to you. I mean, it's okay to say it's ring fence, but we really don't know at this point. No, no. And, and uh, in fact, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> to be easier, get, what do they say, blood out of a stone, is it, or out of a turnip? I'm not too sure which yeah, it is. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm still awaiting a reply from the Minister for Health and also for the Minister of State with responsibility for, for, for the elderly. And I've actually forwarded them the response that I eventually got from the HSE last week. But, I mean, they haven't even come back with, with, with an update as regards what is happening. Is the funding still available? And, I mean, just imagine, Fran, we'll say you're here in Cashel today and the HSE now decide they're going to look for a, a greenfield site. Where are they going to get one? How long is that going to take? Will the funding be there to purchase a, a site? And, I mean, if, if, if St. Patrick's was suitable back four and five years ago for the development after the investigating it and bringing in the experts to look at it. Why isn't it available today to do it? You know, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. And remember, you, yeah. you still have the assessment of the rehabilitation unit on the grounds of St. Patrick's, a fabulous unit with the 21 beds. If the development doesn't take place on the site of St. Patrick's, what's the future for the rehabilitation unit? It was kind of supposed to be in tandem with that 50-bed uh, nursing unit at St. Anthony's unit in Clonmel as well. Do you know anything about that? Well, I, all I understand is that work on the development in Clonmel is underway, as far as I'm, I'm aware. But, I mean, we're here in Cashel and we're, as I said, we're back to square one. And uh, 
you know, there, there, there's, no, there's nothing positive about looking at it for the future. And one wonders where it's all going to end up. And now, a lot of money, I'd say possibly a number of millions of euros have been spent in the same period of time in the last couple of years upgrading the existing buildings from the 1830s, 1840s on the site at St. Patrick's. There's a lot of office accommodation up there. There are some other services up there, day services. But, I mean, that's happening in the meantime. And is that the reason why they've now decided there isn't enough space above there even for parking? I mean, you know, it doesn't make sense. And if you go in the gate of St. Patrick's, Rand, and anybody listening in that knows the area, once you drive in off the K Road into St. Patrick's, you have a big area in front of you there where you have all sheds, etc. Yeah. They could be taken out of it. You have a big green area straight in front of you, a, a raised area, which would be a lovely site for, for a, new, a new building because you'd have, you know, you'd have good views, etc., etc. And, and uh, I mean, why isn't that taken into the equation? So I'm concerned now that they're at the stage where they're, they're, they're reducing the number of beds so much here in Cashel for the future that we'll end up basically with, with, with little or nothing. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. With your political experience and your experience on the health form, is that really what we're looking at? I mean, you know, are, are you pessimistic about what might happen here? Well, as I said to you before, I've never been optimistic in relation to answers we've received from the HSE over the years. Going back to the days, as I said before, the Southeastern Health Board and all the promises and all the votes that yeah. favoured the development of Our Lady's Hospital on the Green and at the end of the day it, it all disappeared in a matter, in a matter of months and, and uh, it, it's just lucky that we have that facility at Our Lady's today to cater for the patients and the residents and the staff that were transferred down about three years ago now from St. Patrick's but remember HICWA won't continue to license that facility forever because they wanted single rooms as well mm. for the majority of elderly patients and elderly residents and and uh, you'll see in my correspondence with you that I have forwarded that reply that I got to yeah. HICWA to let them know that, you know, all their expectations. And I have correspondence here, Fran, going back to 2014, and, or sorry, 1994, 1995, uh, and 2014 and 2015, telling us that, you know, they were planning this type of a development for Cashel and for St. Patrick's even back in those days. And still we're here a decade and more later and... Uh, you know, you, you could be only be pessimistic, and I suppose I'm a doubting Thomas <laughs> in, 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 in many ways. Yeah, I just can't understand that. I mean, they're, they're telling us that part of the answer to the huge issues with our major hospitals is community care, community nursing, all of that. Yeah. And here we have a huge opportunity. And, yeah. and we, it looks like we're going to miss out on this. And they did a survey, which I have a copy of, as I say, it could have been eight years ago. Uh, they did a survey throughout the county of Tipperary, north and south, because, of course, we're still of that div- dividing line between north and south as regards the health services. You know, we have the Midwest and we have the southeast still in existence. And uh, they, they did a survey about the number of beds that they expected would be needed in south Tipperary, because Cashel caters a lot still today for for residents and elderly people from from the northern part of the county. Mm, yes. They come here to Cashel and they're facilitated, which is great here in Cashel. But in, in those figures, they showed that the, there was a need for either 150 or 160 long-term beds in, an, in a place like St. Patrick's, not just in nursing homes, but in a facility uh, that the HSE would be providing themselves. And now here we are, 
back with, with numbers that they're speaking about being reduced and still no plan at all in place as to where it will be developed. And, you know, as I said, it's, it's just, it's so disappointing, but um, n- not surprised. Sadly. Is, is there anything we can do? And again, I'm looking to your experience on this. Mm. I mean, is there anything we could... What would you say to public representatives uh, at the moment? Is, is there anything that can be done here? Well, I mean, in the past, uh, you know, if, if, if public representatives stand together, that's what's needed. You know, I know a number of them are, are doing what they can behind the scenes. But even, you know, when you think about it, that's... You know, the Minister for Health and the Minister of State with responsibility for the elderly, mm. they haven't been able to get responses back from the HSE since I raised this on oh, your programme quite some weeks ago, that they still haven't had answers. And I regularly, every week, I make contact with them to know have they an update and have they an update. They have nothing themselves. So, I mean, I would love if, if our Oireachtas members joined forces and, 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 and tabled a motion in the Dáil and, and, and together would raise this issue because it's not just even about Cashel. It's about providing the services for the elderly into the future. And, I mean, we need them even at the moment. Well, Martin Brown is a TD, and I'm in front of me here is correspondence I had with him yeah, just a, a few weeks ago. Yeah, I was speaking with him, yeah, because he specifically asked me on Saturday yeah. when I met him here in town, was there ever a question about the building this on a greenfield site? And I was only after looking up my, my records at the time that morning. And there wasn't. And there wasn't, because I specifically asked at the meeting in Cork, do you think it's necessary that we would need a greenfield site for this development? And I was specifically told, no, uh, there's ample, ample space on the site at St. Patrick's Hospital in Cashel. That's a great... When do you think we might more know, on the, uh, know more about this? Well, um, I mean... As I say, if, if, if our Oireachtas members together, and I know that, as I said, they are doing what they can behind the scenes, but I think it's only when, when there's a unity of purpose there sometimes. Now, it doesn't always come to bear fruit either. I know that from experience yeah. too. But at least they can flush them out and see, look, what is going on and why can't we be... Why can't they be up front and, and just basically come out and tell the truth and tell the facts? And, 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 I mean, the next question is, is the money still there? I'd love to know if the money, the that's, funding that was put a, aside a for this... That's a huge question, is it? Yeah, you know, will you compare the HSC to the old health boards in terms of access to information for me? Yeah, well, I mean, people were critical of the health boards years ago. And, you know, yeah, we had the Southeastern Health Board here. You had councillors elected to it from the various counties within the region. But at least when they went to a meeting, Fran, down in Kilkenny or wherever, they were able to get answers to questions. And they were able to stand up and ask a question. And, 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 and uh, all those arguments went on. I can remember going back over, over 40 years ago when mm. we had the Save Our Hospital uh, committee here in Cashel yeah. uh, trying to save our ladies' hospital here. And regularly, uh, you know, questions were asked at Southeastern Health Board meetings in relation to it. And then the elected members were able to come back to the next meeting and bring the members of the committees up to, up to scratch about what was happening or what was discussed. You, you don't have any of that now, and while you do have the, the forum meetings, they're still held in Cork, and occasionally for the southeast region, Fran, they're held in Kilkenny. Mm. But when have, you, when have you ever seen a report, even in the media, after those meetings? You seldom no. do, unless an individual member of the committee comes out and, and, and presents something to the media. All right, Tom, it's very worrying indeed, that's for sure. Good to talk to you as always, Tom. Thank you and for your time. thanks for the opportunity. Thank okay. you, you're welcome anytime. Bye-bye to you now. That's Tom Wood there from Cashel. Tom, of course, a former county councillor and also a former uh, member of the Health Forum. Um,
1800 Text to WhatsApp 083 Don't forget we have those uh, tickets to give away to the Marty Party as well if you want to get involved in that. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Puck On, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie I'm glad to see uh, how many of our listeners enjoyed our chat with uh, um, Dr. Eugene today on uh, the programme where we were discussing language, I suppose. Uh, Dr. Eugene O'Brien there and uh, the whole business of the Royal Dal books and one, th- one thing and another. Uh, one of our listeners saying Eugene was very interesting and I'll have a look at his course. It's great to hear a tutor like this on air and so say all of us. I really enjoyed it. Um, Fran, we lost our sovereignty. You said we lost our sovereignty in 2008. We actually lost our sovereignty in 1973 and that's uh, referring to, I presume, that's the year we joined the EEC as it was at that time. Who is the top decision maker in the HSE and did anybody in County Tipperary make contact with him or her? Is there any record of our local representatives making contact with the uh, decision uh, makers? Well, I have the correspondence from Martin Brown in in front of me and he attempted uh, to do so, but he pointed out himself the complete lack of clarity where that is uh, concerned and I'm sure that's no surprise to anybody who's had any uh, dealings with the HSE. Now yesterday we covered um, vandalism and uh, destruction at Marketplace in Clonmel. It sparked a lot of reaction from our listeners regarding antisocial behaviour concerns in the town. Uh, Anne-Marie was in touch and she joins me now. Anne-Marie, good morning to you. Hi, friend. How are you? And, and lovely to talk to you. In the course of our discussions yesterday, we made reference to the old uh, Clonmel Arms building and indeed the person who died there. And that person who died was your brother, Christopher and Marie. And uh, I, spoke, right, friend, I spoke yeah. to Christopher, in fact, shortly before he, his death. Did, did that discussion, did that bring it all back to you, Anne Marie? It did. It really resonated with me. And I was sitting in the kitchen at home. I was getting ready to go to my gym. And I just, when I was listening to Father Michael, I was like, do you know what? Everything he said, every word of what he said was the truth. And the fact that my brother had died in the Clamel Arms and it was brought up, yes, it kind of, it did hit home. Mm. And, and, and did but, it also uh, give you the impression that little has changed in those years? How many years is it now, by the way, Anne-Marie? Um, well, my daughter died in December 14 and Christopher died 18 months later on the 3rd of May 16. Right. And sure, there's been nothing but havoc with the Clamelarns even since then, yeah. to the extent and the state it's in now and the fires that have happened there and people squatting. And now I know it's quite well boarded up, but it's just an eyesore and it's a disgrace to see that nothing has been done with it. Yeah, I was broadcasting uh, from opposite uh, it the other day from the Scouts Hall there. And to look across, it's yeah. such a pity because many of us on the day were remembering some fantastic nights. I mean, it was a beautiful venue and great. Oh, by God, I had many a good night there yeah. myself, friend. <laughs> As did my parents. Yeah, for you sure. Know, and have you concerns then that Marketplace is becoming another site of it destruction? Is and an eyesore from when you turn off of Gladstone Street to walk through the thoroughfare. Yeah. It's an eyesore from start to finish. And I take that walk literally most days. I'm in town just after nine when all the kids are in school. And when I go to the post office, 
I go through that way. I always cut over that way. Yeah. And it's just terrible to see all the windows broken and the damage that's been done to all the properties up there that are derelict and there's nothing been done with them. And are you concerned, you know? Anne-Marie, that it might become a place where, you know, people who are addicted or whatever or homeless might might end up there in some of those buildings? Well, you know? that, that, that in itself is a worry because it's going to happen. It's, it's simply... It's not. It's not if it'll happen. It's when it's going to happen, mm. because it will happen, and there will be. Like before, I, I just see another death coming somewhere down the line with places like that being left idle, and for people to be able to damage to the extent they have, and being able to have access to these places, they will. They will go in there, and they'll have. Some of them have no choice. But at the end of the day, it's an eyesore and it's a disgrace to see the state some of those properties are in at the moment. And what do you make of, because this caused a lot of controversy yesterday, Henry, what what do you make of the excuse from the local authority to say that, look, this is private property and we don't even have the right to go and board up this property? Well, I mean, private property or no private property, somebody has to be held accountable. I, I, I think the council needs to take some of that on board. And um, probably the people that actually own it they should be doing a whole lot more with it. You know, because it's not just marketplace. There's many places around the town now have been left to get into this state, including my own, and I, I will mention this now if you don't mind, my own home house, which is not in our family possession with a number of years. It's gone beyond repair and it's left derelict. It was sold after my parents died and it's now some of the windows, people had to go in there, and possibly my brothers, I think, at one point, and they had to go in there and board up the windows and doors and have it locked up because there was people squatting in there as well. Um, but you I presume this was a system. property that could have been done up and, and, and used for housing. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, like the home house now. Fran, when we lived there all the years back, there was at least 12 or 13 rooms. It's a big, big house. Yeah. With plenty of room in there. They could have done something with it, but the guy that bought it has never said well, well, we, Yeah, we won't, we won't get personal about it. But, yeah. but and, and you, I presume you see a lot of properties like that that could there be... There is a lot of places like that, and Marketplace is only one of them, and then of course you have the old um, telecom building above. Yeah. Like, that, that's gone to complete, um, complete disarray. And all sorts going on up there at night time. Uh, and and, and then you have teenagers yeah. and whatnot, and they're out of control around the town at the weekends in particular. Well, I was going to ask you about that, Anne-Marie. Do you think they're out of control? Oh, they're definitely out of control. I've seen some of them myself, hands-on. You know, and it, it, youngsters of 16, 15, some younger. You know, now I have grandkids, my eldest grandchild is 16, and even she wouldn't go around the town on her own at the weekends. She'd be afraid. She'd, she'd only go in the odd time with her friend and there'd be two or three of them maybe and she'd be home by six o'clock on the bus because it's not a safe place for kids to be. Not a safe place for anyone to be. Right, but we're talking about the centre of the town here, Anne-Marie. Yeah, yeah, and it's gone out of control and you'd be wondering sometimes when you see some of these teenagers, like, do the parents even know where they are? Like, what, what, have, what business have they got at all hours of the night going around wanting vandalism and all sorts? Yeah, Mick, who lives only a, a few doors up from, from that area, was saying as well that he would feel unsafe in, in, in yeah. that area. Yeah, now it wouldn't be often I'd be in town late now. Yeah. But um, the odd time now I have been with the kids and we, we might be getting a late takeaway or something. And you, you wouldn't walk up any side street. 
or some of the laneways, you know, you wouldn't even in broad daylight, you wouldn't venture down there. And what's happening there that would be frightening? Um, well, there's, there's certain people that would be begging on the street and you're seeing drugs openly being, being taken and drug deals going on in o- broad open, daylight. Openly, Henry. Openly. I've seen it myself personally. I've seen it personally. And it, it's gone beyond a joke. And then you have teenagers and they're wandering around the town at night and they've nothing else to do but smashing in windows. You know, and, and having said that, then there's not many amenities for the kids around the town either. I don't know about that, Henry. There's lots of no, sports I mean, facilities, and you know, if if you really wanted to do the right thing, there is sports facilities, and there is plenty of things they could get into, but they're left. A lot of them are left to their own devices. I think. So, are we back to parents here again? Well, I suppose they have to be held accountable to some extent. I mean, I myself as a parent, I'd be mortified if my children were involved in any of that. Well, I presume you'd want to know where they are. Oh, I'd, I'd need to know where they are at all times. It's just the way I'd be now. I'd be probably overprotective at times. And yeah. I know they give out to me and they're like, oh, why'd you ask so many questions and this and that? But like, is that because of your own experience over the years, Anne-Marie? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, mm. possibly because of what I went through with my daughter in particular. Mm. And sure, I used to be trying to chase her up and some days I didn't know where she was and I did my best. But look, it happened. What happened, happened. I've had to get on with it and now I'm trying to raise her three and I don't want that for them. I don't want them to see what's going on around the town. You know, I try to shield them from it as best I can. And, you know, it's not and, always easy. And o- over the years, I mean, has it disimproved considerably? I think it has. I think it has now. Right. Even my grandson now, he's 13. And we were in town one day. I don't know if there's some sort of thing going on. There was a lot of people around the town. And all he wanted to do was go home. Now, I know he's on the autism spectrum. But he just said he didn't feel safe. Right, he was overwhelmed by it in some way. Yeah, way. yeah. Now, most artistic children wouldn't like crowds and yes, yeah. lots of noise and that, but he in particular now doesn't. And he just said he doesn't feel safe in the town and there was a few people going around, falling around drunk and stupid things. Mm. And he notices he's very highly... Um, he's aware, he, he, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he's very aware of everything around him and he watches things. And But then that would be part and parcel of the autism as well. Of course, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I yeah. just hate that idea that some kids are frightened, and, and particularly yeah. young women, that they're frightened to be in areas, you know? Yeah, like I wouldn't walk the to town on my own at night. I certainly wouldn't. Would I, you know? I'm 52 years of age, friend. Right. But, I but was there a time when you'd feel safe walking the town? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Sure, I, I remember even my mum, when she was alive, she'd be sitting in the kitchen in the house, and the front door would be wedged wide open, and it was always left open. But you couldn't, you couldn't hear that now. What has gone wrong, do you think? I, I think society is just, I think, I, I don't know how to explain it, Fran, to be honest, but I think a lot of the younger generation have had a lot of leeway. They've kind of let themselves go, and I think they, they oh, I don't know how to explain it properly. And I'm a parent too, and Marie, I, I, I'm just wondering how much of it is down to us. Have we have we given them too much freedom? Have we tried to make life easy for them? And by doing so, I don't know. Maybe we've damaged them in some way, or we've. You know, I kind of think a little bit on that line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've been given a lot of leeway, and we we've tried to make it better for them than it was for us. But I wonder, yeah. in doing so, have we? I don't know. Have for we sure. Done? Nowadays, you can't reprimand children for lots no. of things. No. If you see someone doing something wrong, you can't approach them. You can't say anything because you're wrong. Yeah. 
you know, um, certain situations, you just have to walk past it and leave it go. Whereas a number of years ago, if you saw someone doing something, you'd stop them and say it or, you know, approach them. But now you can't. You, you dare not, I suppose. No, you wouldn't want to because you don't know what kind of lashback you're going to get. Yeah. Um, if, if you were to, I mean, sometimes local representatives would, would listen to us and the like. What, what would you say to them, Anne-Marie? And I'm conscious of the experience that you have here, so whatever you say is valid. What experience would you give them? What what, what advice would you give them? Um, I don't know, Fran, to be honest now. But I think um, the likes of, say, the Gardaí now and, you know, the representatives in that, it'd be lovely to see them having more of an input with the younger group. There really should be more input and more, you know, contact with the younger groups, the children and that, and let them see that they're there for them, you know, and that they shouldn't, the children of today shouldn't be like the authorities, like the Gardaí and all such as, you know, a threat. They should they should know that they're there for them and they're there to help them. Right, and they should be asking more advice of them. But the thing in, in what you said to me that's very important there is that they should know them and they should know each other. Do, do, do you know yeah. what I mean? There should be that kind yeah. of content. And, yeah, uh, there should content. be a little bit more of um, yeah. um, kind of a friendliness about them and they, they should make themselves known to the younger groups in particular. Now, of course, the Gardaí have huge issues with resources at the, at the moment. Anne so I'm always very conscious yeah. of that as well, you know. Yeah, and there's only so much any of them can do at the end of the day. Yeah, well, you know, uh, parents have an obligation here as well, so... Oh, big know. time, big time, big yeah. time. No, know like where I, they I, are, I suppose. I've, I've got my lot in, they're all in school. The youngest is in primary in Lizarona. She's only a year and a bit left. She's off today now on the five aside, but that's great to know she's interacting with all that. Yeah. I've got my autistic grandchild in the school in Feathers, and he's doing very well at the moment. He's now signed up, he's got rugby He's signed up to the volleyball team and they're setting up a basketball team. So he's very active in all that. And I'd like to see a lot more of that for children in general. And access to it should be a little bit more easy, I think. Right. It should so be very helpful. That's that's the way around this, you think, is it? Uh, yeah, so keep them active and keep them... And engage them in some way. Yeah, yeah. Anne-Marie, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks very much. How's oh, the health with you, Anne-Marie, by the way? How are you? Would you believe it or not? Now, actually, it's actually going very well at the good, minute. Good, good. Haven't had a problem with quite some long while now. I'm back in um, Heartwise, my gym. I go there four days a week. Mm. Um, I do my hour four mornings a week, and then after that, I go to the sauna in the swimming pool for a half an hour, very good. unwind. Yeah. and relax and spoil myself. <laughs> well, I can't think of anybody who deserves it more. And Marie, you look after yourself, and thank you so much. No bother, Thank, you. thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thank bye. you. Bye-bye to you now. And uh, that's Anne-Marie speaking to us uh, this morning. Just letting you know, Fran, uh, that the Clanwell Arms is being renovated. It says here, the part on O'Connell Street. Um, the thing that the boys had to clean up, absolutely disgusting, and that's a fact, says one of our listeners to us uh, this morning. Fran, you want to wake up. All the towns have gone out of control because there are no guards patrolling. And, uh, you know, you make an important point there. I mean, we're talking about Clanmill, but I mean, there's huge um, issues in all of our towns where antisocial behaviour is concerned and uh, the like as well. Uh, a breath of fresh air to hear Tom Wood uh, chatting with you this morning. He seems to be the only channel of information we have regarding St. Patrick's Hospital. Where are all our local politicians, says John O'Byrne of Dean's Grove. That's uh, Dean's Grove in Cashel. Um, okay, Clonmel is a kip, says one of our listeners. My daughter is 40 years 
uh, very able-bodied, would not walk down the town even during broad daylight. And it's such a shame. Patrick on to say, well spoken, uh, Anne-Marie, you speak from experience and you're right about Marketplace. It's another disaster waiting to happen. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. TIP FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Yeah, the top of the programme, we spoke about the Catholic primary school leaders rejecting the Minister's call for transgender education and uh, with several different uh, views on that, including uh, John's view. But one of our listeners on to say, Fran, children have phones now, they have access to social media, so if you think that children in national school won't know about transgenderism, that man is living in the past. This country has moved on from being a Catholic church state that, let's face it, let itself down badly in the way they handle women and children's issues. Up to now, they were there to help people, but uh, gutted. Hang on, my computer here just jumped all over the place. But gutted them instead. Uh, embrace everybody, and what people wear is their business. The church made women repent when they had a baby and cover their heads in church. Not for me or for a lot of other Irish people, women and men, says one of our listeners. Marion was on to say as well, having a go at John, saying, John, is the problem in society selective acceptances? I found that interesting. We asked Marion to uh, chat to us on the programme tomorrow, and I believe she will do so. Another person saying, John, absolutely spot on in what he's saying. 083 now, over the last few weeks, we've covered the state of our roads when it comes to rubbish and illegal dumping on some of often the most beautiful scenic locations around the county. Louise was in touch with us about this and joins me now. Louise, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. Louise, what are your concerns about uh, dumping and littering and all of that? Oh, Fran, it's just so frustrating. Um, I have two teenage children and I travel regularly from Nocavella and um, through Cashel onto Care and um, drop my children there and i just noticed month on month on month the increase of people littering rubbish just thrown out of windows all left along the roadsides the pull-ins and it's i'm just i'm just disgusted that tipperary is supposed to be our premier county beautiful county and it's just so disrespected by people by throwing their litter i, I just don't understand why people do it. And Louise, you said the increase. So you're seeing an increase in this, are you? Absolutely, Fran. I've really noticed it, especially in the last few months, um, where there were roads that didn't have litter. There's just litter everywhere. There's litter. I, I, it just frustrates me to see it. There's not one green spot that I can actually visibly see on my travels every day. And even every single road I see going in and out of Cashel is just covered. And I mean, it's not just small bits, Fran. It's round by the dangerous bends. It's in where cars pull up. It's um, especially around the roads leading away from the Rock of Cashel out towards Nocavella, Ardmail, um, Borlatin. You're seeing litter everywhere and it's, it's a disgrace. It just looks 
dreadful. I've tried to go out myself and pick it up, but the bends are so dangerous, Fran. Of course, you'd, you'd, yes. you'd be killed. You literally would be. What kind of mindset is behind this, do you think, Louise, that would, you know, that, that people would say that they're entitled to just fling stuff out of their car and let somebody else worry about it, let somebody else pick it up for? Well, I, I honestly, and I just sound very disrespectful, Fran, but I think people that do that have very little mindset um, because I don't understand how anybody would undo a window and throw out a crisp packet, a can, or any kind of, of cardboard plastic. And it's done regularly, and most of it's takeaways. I've been picking up um, boxes, pizza boxes, takeaways, um, cans, and crisp packets are just incredible. And I, I, I have seen people throwing it out of their vehicles. I have chased people down on the road. Have you? I have pulled up behind them, and I have got out, and I have spoken to them about them throwing their rubbish out on the road. Now, I'm greeted with, as you can imagine, a lot of ne- negativity. But these people are adults driving with children in the back seats of their cars. Right. So what lesson are they giving uh, to the children? Wait, t- tell me, you, you skirted over the reaction to you when you pull people up on this. What reaction are you getting? I mean, do they abuse you? Uh, <laughs> on this one particular occasion, I followed... Um, it was two um, adult women driving along and threw out uh, a whole container of um, takeaway food that they had had. And I followed them into actually Nocavella town and uh, t- into the village, beg your pardon. And I pulled up and I said to them, had they enjoyed their lunch that day? And they looked at me blankly and I said, well, you must have done. And it was a very popular um, outlet. And um, they said, how do you know we ate there? And I said, because you have just thrown all your rubbish, I said, out onto the road. And I caught you doing it. And I said, it's a disgrace. And um, she said, it's got nothing to do with you. And I said, it's got everything to do with me because I live in this country. I respect my county. Um, I love where I live and I want it to be kept clean. I want the environment around me to be kept clean. And I I don't want to be seeing that. And they got into the car and they sped off. But... um, and had they the good grace to be embarrassed by this? Um, yeah, slightly. I think, <laughs> I think when they saw this woman coming out of the car, <laughs> yeah. confronting them, they, they, yeah, they, they were kind of taken aback by it. And I do hope they took that on board. But, I mean, I see, Fran, there are cars, local cars around, and I... You know, there be. I see that the road is slightly clear. I was out the other day of driving around this Lauren, picking up rubbish yet again, and I see local vehicles driving around. And then within a few moments, there's crisp packets again thrown. So these aren't people that are are driving through. You have to be around your community. You have to live within so the, the area. So these are local people rubbishing their own areas. There has to be Fran. It has to be Fran. And when you're looking at people, I mean, obviously people. People are looking in casual at, at tourism and they're, they're seeing people are pulling up in car parks and they're parking up and the car park down from the, the foot of the rock, the, the new car park mm. where the new road system yeah. is. Yet again, strewn again with rubbish. The bend, just as you go out the Ardmail East Road, strewn with rubbish. I've had people. I worked myself in Cashel within the tourist um, tourism industry. And there were several people that used to come up to where I was working and saying they couldn't get over the, the amount of litter that were on the country roads leading to and from Cashel. And was now, that this, tourists who told you that? that yeah, indeed. Wow. And this, I mean, that was sometimes 
time ago, believe it or not, but they are still... It's got even worse now, Fran, and I don't understand how somebody can pull up on a roadside and just throw their rubbish out. There's, I see it this morning again through Cashel. Somebody's just dumped bags of their rubbish. The roundabout heading out towards care. There's so much rubbish. Now, the tidy towns, I know, work so hard and they do a wonderful job. I know they do. They keep the actual, the flowers, the borders looking beautiful. But there's people that are voluntary going out there doing that. And yet... There's others coming into the into Cashel. There are people living in the community, um, and they are just littering. No respect, no understanding, and it comes from parents. It comes mm. from schools. It comes from community-based activities. People need to be educated. But there's never been as much education, Louise, on this. You know, I mean, I, I think everybody's aware now of the importance of keeping areas clean. And that, but, but it doesn't stop. People. I know, Van, yeah. it doesn't, and that's just it. And are we looking at maybe, when you're looking at most of the rubbish I am picking up are plastic bottles and they're cans. And if you look at countries that have, um, they, they're putting um, um, uh, additional money onto the prices of drinks, so there might be an additional 50 cent. Mm. Um, that's encouraging people. You're not going to throw 50 cent out of the window, are you, in your car? So why throw a can that could be mm. worth 50 cent if you took it back to, um, to now, a, the There was to talk the about introducing that, but then I heard no more about it. Is that being introduced in some areas as, of the country? As now? far as I know, Fran, it isn't. I wish it would be, but as far as I know, it isn't. But there has to be, I mean, even myself being able to to phone up places and find out. People don't know where to get the bags. They don't know where to get the pickers. They don't know where to get um, information that they can pass around. I mean, I remember there a few years ago, I know the council did a wonderful um, publicity on litter picking, Mm. and that's where I got my litter pickers and my um, bags and, and all those and all those things that are necessary. But it just seems to have gone now and, and people are kind of going, well, where do we get them from? What do we do? Where do we take it when we've picked all this litter up? Yeah, I, I can't understand people like yourself and people involved in tidy towns, how you will go out time and time again. You'll you'll pick it up and you'll probably go out the next day and see that some gobdaw has flung yeah. stuff out. What, I mean, how can you continue to do that? You know, would you not just end up throwing your hands in your ass? Look, you know. Oh, Fran, I have literally, my, my particular area, um, I my own home place where I'm living, I go out regularly and pick up other people's rubbish. Now, it frustrates me so much. It must make you very angry, of course. It makes me so cross. And what even makes me more cross, Fran, is that there, there are people living in the area. It's outside their front doors. It's outside their verges. They only have to walk across and pick up the crisp packet or pick up the, the bottle. But... But they're not doing it. So I'm going into a completely different area to pick up other people's rubbish because I'm sick and tired of seeing it on the roads every time I'm driving to and from, dropping my children, going to work. And I just get so cross. And the other day I, I pulled up on the road and I was I had my picker ready and I was literally playing chicken with the traffic because I was so cross. Now I phoned a council and said... You have got to, there's got to be some kind of stop and go system done, especially on those roads leading away from, say, Cashel to mm. Rockefeller in particular. That's one road I would drive on regularly. There is an area there, particularly, that's it's 
barn with rubbish and it, it looks horrendous. Now, I'm not willing to put myself at risk yeah, to, to do that and nor would I expect the people in that community to do that either because it is extremely dangerous. So well, Where is that area? There? That's, it's literally, Fran, as you're coming out of, of Cashel yeah. on, on, on the um, R505, it's the road that leads to Nocavella. Yes, yeah. So it's obviously heading out towards the Camus Bridge, which again is a point that is covered again in rubbish. Yeah, um, I, I think is that because people slow down there going around Camus Bridge and they fling stuff out? Is it? Is that part? I, of it? I, I, I think it might be fun. I mm. just think I also think because the roads are very bendy, maybe because of the way that the wind blows, the maybe, dikes, the maybe, ditches, yeah. um, and it's building up and building up, and then it's all in the actual hedges themselves. So you've large pieces of plastic flapping around, and, and I mean it just looks horrendous, Fran. Like, can you imagine being a tourist? You're coming down, you're seeing this beautiful rock of Cashel, and you're pulling up and all you're seeing is litter. And it it's, it's so disrespectful. It's an absolute disgrace, Louise, that's for sure. Um, okay. Thank you for coming on with me. So eloquent, Louise. Lovely to talk to you today. Oh, you're thank so you. welcome, Thank, you. thank, thank you. you so much for the time. Thank you. you bye bye, Chief. Bye bye, Chief. That's Louise speaking to us today about littering. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Now, we're with you, of course, every single weekday morning from nine. And John spoke to us this morning about Leo Varadkar's uh, comments that he will be in favour of primary school children being taught about transgender issues. Here's just a little of what he had to say to us after nine this morning. So what I don't like is very young, impressionable children of primary school age, Fran, <clears throat> being subjected, like you mean, to outside forces, and to being uh, subjected to dealing with uh, issues that I think their young minds are, are uh, susceptible, like, I mean, you know, and I think a child should be a child as long as it can be, both boy and girl, right? I think when you get into secondary school, that's a different kettle of fish altogether, right? But I think very young children of four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I don't agree with teaching them about LGBT, about trans or anything like that. I think their their young minds are in their young bodies are just in the world. Give them a chance to be a child. It's they'll be long enough in the world, friend, like you and me, when they'll be battled from outside forces, inside forces, whatever, forces will come at them, right? And try to deal with life in general will be hard enough and you become an adult. Mm. So a child to me should be a child as long as I possibly can. I don't see any demonstrations outside Schools in Tipperary, in Cork, or Dublin, or right around the country. I don't see hundreds of parents queuing up saying that they want religion gone over the schools, that they, they want all this stuff taught to their very young, impressionable children. I don't see it. And where, where is it coming from then, do you think, John? Well, I, 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 you see, there's just two ways of looking at this. I, I think for years, it's been building from within a lot of parties from the left. I know it has kind of spread into the mainstream parties, that which between the Fall, Fine Gael, Greens, whatever, and Sinn Féin, that uh, I think um, uh, the threat is coming from within. 
And it's this whole idea that, I mean, we must change everything now. I mean, you know, everything we had, every value, Christian value, uh, all type of values that we had, and also to be kind of old hat. And that was uh, John speaking to me just after nine o'clock uh, this morning. Oh, wait, three, three, double one, double three, double one. We have those tickets to give away to the Marty Party that's coming to Limerick for the first time ever to the University Concert Hall there on this coming Friday. I'll be speaking to uh, the said Marty, that's Marty Morrissey, on the programme tomorrow. But uh, our tickets today, as always, based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you put the Marty Party at the end of your contribution, we will pop you into the draw. Uh, one of our listeners saying, I totally agree with uh, the lady speaking about the litter situation. I reside in the Moyne area of Thurles and uh, the roads are a disgrace. I litter pick around my area every couple of weeks. And uh, yes, Fran, I pick up other people's rubbish. The amount of drink, cans, bottles and coffee cups, it's unbelievable. We have a lovely country, so please, please try and keep it clean, says one of our listeners. Another listener, forgive my naivety, Fran, but why is there not an emphasis uh, when the hedges are being cut or the mud being drawn out onto the roads uh, by machinery? Uh, which can cause damage to cars by way of a puncture uh, from thorns, branches, or cause an accident indeed if it rains and the roads become slippy. I know it doesn't affect many people, but it is lethal, and we foot the bill for any damage caused, no matter how careful the driver is. Certainly a big issue up around our way in uh, Anacarty. 0833113311. Let me find my jingle now. Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mail on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. Spec savers for me, I think, John. You're very welcome, John. How are you? I thought good... I might have to sing it. <laughs> well, if you if you want to well, burst... No, no, no. I wouldn't in, inflict that on your farmers. Far be it for me for, to stop somebody from bursting into song. Good to see you today, John. Um, you. You're going to talk to us about assisted decision-making and there's been some... Some yes. movement forward at on long that. last. Yeah. At long last. 2015 is when this came in, and I have been talking about it since, since 2015. And they've now finally, finally said that it's coming on the 26th of April. And I mean, literally, I've been talking to people for the last number of years about the fact that, and I've often said it to you that when I started First in Law, you'd be talking to people about wills. And then in 19. 90s and the 1990s you started talking about enduring powers of attorney which were nicknamed living wills and then in 2015 almost however many you can do your numbers on mm. that but in 2015 then they introduced a whole new way of looking at capacity you know whether people were able to do things or not or look after themselves or not so they changed that to what they call the functional approach which basically means that you look to the particular function that you're asking somebody to do whatever it is you're asking them to do and you see can they carry out that particular thing or can they function in that particular area mm. and if they can then they have capacity if they can't they don't have capacity which which believe it or not was a seismic shift in the way people looked at capacity because because prior to that, you either had it or you didn't have it. And mm. if you didn't have it, that was it. You, you had capacity for nothing. So they changed that. But when they did that, then they introduced uh, two kind of considerable uh, changes in the area, in this area as well, because they added in what they called decision-making agreements. 
And now there's a side issue to this, which I'll cover just in a second, but they introduced these decision-making agreements. So so now you had another um, kid on the block dealing with issues around people not being able to look after themselves. And instead of going into wardship, which is which which they have abolished. Mm. and That's I, the state taking yeah, over, essentially. That's, that's literally the High Court office, wardship mm. office, being involved in literally managing somebody's affairs. And, as you say, very much a kind of a state-funded uh, scenario. But they then replaced this with the whole decision-making idea. So the decision-making concept or model, if you like, was where you would you would appoint somebody or nominate somebody to help you make decisions or to make decisions with you. Or alternatively, the third one of that is that if you weren't capable of making decisions and if there was nobody there that you had nominated, the court would appoint somebody, which is the kind of last resort, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 big thing here is that they've literally introduced a brand new way of dealing with the process of making decisions as and I was going to say as you grow older but obviously you may have a disability mm. which might affect mm. it as well but this whole new novel thing has been around since 2015 and now they've finally announced the fact that as and from the 26th of April of this year I can now say to people well actually it's now in place they introduced one other one uh, one other uh, element to this which is the final part to you know succession planning planning for the future looking after yourself if something goes wrong that you're no longer able to do it they introduce one further one which is the it's it's called an advanced healthcare directive and basically what this is is that this deals with the situation and i mean you've had around for some time now advanced healthcare directive but they haven't they haven't been legislated on mm. it's now part of our legislative process and been supervised by a decision making service which I'll talk about in a second but which is also part of what they're going to introduce after yes. from April but this advanced healthcare directive now means that if I'm at a stage in my life for whatever reason be it age or ill health or otherwise that I have very, very defined views as to how I might be dealt with. So in other words, whether I want to be resuscitated, whether I want to be peg fed and things like that, or whether I want to have chemotherapy or, or whatever particular scenario you're talking about, you now have a piece of legislation that says that you can actually make a plan and a written document called an advanced healthcare directive that will deal with that. So when people are coming in to me now, uh, uh, to make, to look forward or do a little bit of advanced planning, you're now looking at quite a, a set of mechanisms or procedures that are available to them. And it's not just your will. And look, you know, you know, I've often talked about wills, but now you're looking at a set. So the set now goes like this. Your final document is your will because you've passed on once the will kicks in. Your first document, if you like, is if you're in a situation where you need some help 
to to make a decision. So you may you may be due to disability or due to age or otherwise, you might want you know might you need some help. And in that situation, you've got these decision making agreements, and you're able to nominate in advance the people you want to do that. So you're you're looking at a situation where people are saying, well, you know. If I want, if they have children and, you know, there's one particular child that they they would like, I was going to say your favourite, but you know what I mean, we don't have any favourites as, as parents to where all our children are, are equal. But anyway, but you may have somebody who's living close by and you'd nominate them. So mm. there's no uncertainty about it. From that point of view, you can plan it. And then the other scenario is that if rather than needing help, you actually lose the ability to be able to make any decisions on your own path so you lose capacity and you're no longer able to function. In those, in that scenario, you have the enduring power of attorney, which again has been updated somewhat, and that's another uh, document that you can put in place. And then finally, the healthcare one is the, is the other document that you can put in place. So this... To say I'm excited, lawyers aren't supposed to get excited, but I'm quite excited that I'm now in a position to do something about this, as in mm. offer all of these options to people so that you can actually plan forward. And and don't forget now, there's a what-if. In this particular scenario, there's a what-if scenario in it, but there's very few what-ifs on a will. A will is a will. Yes, of course. Always, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly going to get to the point where the will will be relevant. Don't don't mention the will. It'll, it'll start <laughs> a row in my house once again. Um, you spoke about supervision uh, because yes. uh, this always yes. concerns me that, you know, unscrupulous actors could be sort of up Correct. to all sorts of tricks here. What, what sort of supervision are we talking about? Well, you see, about? prior to this, prior to this, the only supervision that you had was wardship. Yes. That was the only thing that was out there and available. Since 1700 and something, it's been around under the wow. Lunacy Act, was introduced, um, which is an awful name for an Isn't act. There you go. Um, but there are 2,000 wards in Ireland, and 2,000 uh, cases are going to have to be looked at over the next uh, number of years. They're talking about over the next three years. But they're now going to review those cases and move them out of the wardship model mm. into the new model. Now, the new model, you have a supervising authority, and you're quite right, you do need safeguards. So, you know, like everything else, they have, it's called the DSA for short, but it's the decision-making authority that's literally going to be supervising all of these various um, options that are out there. And like everything else there are going to be the ultimate uh, scenario is that if you you must register certain of these agreements like mm. for example if you activate uh, if you activate the uh, uh, a co-ownership or co-ownership sorry if you act, activate one of these agreements the co-decision making agreements you must register it with the authority and that authority you must then make reports you have obligations on an annual basis to make reports to the authority so like everything else there are responsibilities with these particular and that's the responsibility of your solicitor no, well, of the of the person who's nominated, Talk. the actual nominated person who the right. full decision-making agreement per, and you can you can question uh, how these 
people are, are carrying out these functions mm-hmm. and you have an authority or a body to refer to. And, I mean, for example, with the Advanced Healthcare Directive, I remember a question being asked, and like everything else, you know, when, when we're talking about this, which I've no doubt we will be over the next number of years, you know, the question is going to arise, like, to what extent are you going to be able to monitor these things? Mm. You know, what kind of resources are going to be applied to managing these? And like everything else, as I've often said to you, the problem with, with all of these um, models that we talk about is they're very much resource dependent. And if you have the resources, yes, you'll be able to monitor them. But your ultimate, your ultimate fallback position with all of this from a protection point of view is the courts. The courts haven't, I'm going to say abdicated, but you know what I mean? They haven't been ousted from overall supervision. And that's one of the the benefits of a system that has a statutory framework, is that if you have the fail-safe that you can make a court application to say, I think there's something wrong here and I want you to look at it, they can appoint representatives by the, nominated by the court to go in and have a look at it and deal with it. Now, the the other, the I mean, it's it's really interesting because um, the wardship applications are going to be interesting because you see, wardship is now going to be replaced with like any any number of wardship applications I would have been involved in over the years. The main the main reason that somebody would have gone into wardship is that it would have there would have been an assessment made and it would have been decided that we're not capable of managing their affairs mm. but it would have been under the old model yes. the old model yeah. was you either had it or you hadn't it okay. you either had the ability or you had the capacity so or you didn't it wasn't nuanced in any way it wasn't way. in yeah. any way nuanced yeah. Yeah. so the really interesting thing is, is of these 2000 cases how much nuancing are you going to have will they all come into a supervision situation or to what extent will there be a supervision? Because it will it be a co-decision-making agreement, somebody to assist them making a decision, or will it be an assisted decision-making agreement, which somebody to just help them make a decision, or will it be a court-appointed decision-maker because there's nobody else to right. carry out that function? But what about the speed of that decision-making, though? I mean, either appointing somebody or adjudicating oh, yeah. this or something. Yeah. I would imagine that, because, I mean, for the person involved, this has to happen straight away. Correct, yeah, correct. But you see, until such time as it happens, the wardship mechanism will still be there. They're not going to dismantle. Okay. Okay. They won't. Yeah, no, it's a yes. good point. They're not going to dismantle, you know, the baby in the bathwater scenario. They won't yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater. They'll hold on to the bath for a while anyway, until such time as they get a replacement shower or whatever it is. I don't know how you might analyse <laughs> ana- make an analogy of it. But yeah, no, no. I mean, the wardship will stay in place right. until such time as you move them into either a court-appointed representative or uh, you know, a personal rep in in so in so far as you're talking about a family member that might be representative. So it personalizes and family makes it much more family friendly. The whole area. Yes. You know, so so and and this is in as of the twenty sixth of July, April. Did I say the twenty sixth of April? Right, so so pretty pretty quickly indeed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's some new acts in uh, consumer rights act and stuff that that. But you're, there's some you're really what cost my and uh, we, we we will certainly have to have a look at this um, in more detail. Although I remember when I studied, um, uh, so what they called it personal property, or did they call it commercial law? I'm not sure what they called it, but I I think it was commercial law. Mm. One of the big things that that you had was the Sale of Goods and Supply Services Act, which was a very old 
piece of legislation and the Sale of Goods Act, which was 1890-something. But in 2022, it's funny how these acts suddenly, you know, there must have been a huge amount of work put into mm. them. But what they've done in the in the in the recent past, and you've seen them do it in tax legislation, capital acquisitions tax, for example, you'd have a whole load of amending legislation and it would be a morass of the starting act and then 15 or 20 acts after that and every finance act, etc. So what they've tried to do with legislation is they've done a consolidation of the whole consumer rights area because, as you can imagine, what wasn't there... Uh, I was going to say 20 years ago, but mm. I'd say it probably 10 years ago now, or however long it is since the internet's been around, was this whole digital area and the whole digital area being covered. So that's that's new, and that's now being covered under the Consumer Rights Act 2022. Now, I just started to, to look at it, and I thought a couple of interesting ones, without, without um, going into it in great detail, because it's, there's, I think... How many pages? 205 pages of an wow. act. So I didn't have a chance to read it all. But I had a quick look at it. And the interesting thing is, you know, I've often talked to you about burden of proof. And if you go into a court of law, somebody has to have the first shot at proving it, which is the burden of proof. So the burden is on one. And if they don't discharge that burden, well, then they're out the door. If you know what I mean, you've yes. lost it. You have to prove your case. So where, and the question often is, where does the, so if you're a consumer coming into a shop, there's a burden of proof on a sales contract as a consumer. And there's a presumption there's a presumption that the consumer is right under this act, which is a new one, because, you know, you're going in and you're saying, well, I've, these goods are faulty, and the, 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 there's, where's the presumption, or do you have to prove that they are? And the whole presumption under this legislation would appear to fall in favour of the consumer. So it has shifted the emphasis away from, you know, the laissez-faire uh, scenario, whereby the consumer is in a weaker position than the trader. But they have you have this short-term right to terminate a contract. And I, I used to always be struggling with this under the old legislation as to, can you go in and insist, look, I, I want to, I, I'm, I'm giving it back to you, take it back, I don't want it, kind of thing. Not that I don't want it, but I'm terminating the contract if there's something wrong with it. So I go in and the, you go into the shop, and the, or, and I'm going to say shop or anything, mm, it can be yeah. any kind of thing, and you say, this is defective. You know, I want my money back. I want my money back. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you get, well, no, I'll repair it. And you're standing there wondering, well, do I have the right to insist on whether you repair or not? And under this piece of legislation, that's clarified because you have what they call a short day, 30 day right to terminate. So that's that's new and that's a fairly... Well, you, you say it's new, but I mean, where digital is concerned, I mean, it, it, well, if memory suddenly correct, wasn't there a European directive? Correct. That, that there was a European that. directive yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, you're full marked. I'll give you 10 out of 10 Thank for, you that. for that. But yeah, that's, that's the, a directive that was introduced by the EU. But I'm talking about just, just across the counter right. shop scenarios. It what, didn't apply in that case that you had a cooling off. It's called your cooling off period. And it applies in insurance contracts as well. You know, you always, uh, somebody tried to flog you something. They had to put it in there saying you had 30 days to, to change your mind kind of thing. Now, this is a 30-day one that they've introduced now on a sale of goods. But the other one that I, that I thought, that I think is, uh, that just struck me as well, is the right of a recipient of a gift. There was always a real 
and maybe it's just something that as a lawyer you get kind of hung up on, but there's always this thing of what they call privity of contract. When you studied contract law, if I had a deal, if I did a deal with you, that's a contract with you. But if you then gave, let's say I gave you a guitar and you paid me money for it and we did the deal and there's a contract and you give your guitar to your friend and your friend comes back to me and said, this guitar is a load of rubbish. Uh, you said it was a, I was going to say a Stradivarius, but whatever. But that's a violin. Guitar. That's a violin. I love the notion of it, though. Uh, that's yeah. a violin. Whatever the Stradivarius equivalent is right. that, that you said. And you, you, that's what I said it was, which is a misrepresentation and it's not fit for purpose. Blah, 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 blah. And your man says, and you gave it to him. I said, well, sorry, but I don't have any privity with you. In other words, there's no contractual relationship between you and I, so therefore you can't you can't deal with me on it. Under the under this, the recipient of a gift stands in the shoe of the person who made the purchase, wow. which is an interesting one, isn't it? You know, and you know, there's it, it's it's there is stuff all over the place on this. That right. from and, a, and when will this come in? When, this, when is, is in. Is, this is this is this is in. This is the Consumer Rights Act. But while I was looking at that, then. Uh, somebody was talking to me about the Consumer Insurance Contracts Act, which came in 2019, and that's a really interesting one because, and again, just I need to be careful how I put this, but certainly I have found a trend in the last number of years by insurance companies to look for reasons, which could be justifiable reasons, to avoid an insurance contract and say to you, you didn't do this, so therefore you're out the door, I'm mm. not paying you anything. So you're in a situation where you're going, oh, wait a minute here, like, that's, that's, you know, that doesn't really impact on you. And that's a side issue. And it's not, it doesn't go to the core of the insurance contract. And I remember having a number of arbitrations because there's arbitrations usually under these mm. contracts. And I was faced with this, you know, well, under clause 27951, bloody, bloody, blah, and you're going on crumbs, mm. you know. And then you had to use the argument that unless it was clear, a contract term was clear, so you were using common law as opposed to statute okay. law to argue your case, uh, which you, you could be successful. But under under the Consumer Insurance Contracts 2019 legislation, they've introduced what they call proportionate remedies. So what does that mean? Now? Prop- yeah, in proportion to whatever it is. So, sorry, let's be clear about this. Mm. So, what they're saying is that if you made a misrepresentation, so if you gave them misleading information, it depends on the type of misrepresentation or misleading, how misleading was it? Was it innocent? Was it careless? Or was it fraudulent? Right, this is the information you might give to your insurance company to get your policy or whatever. So so you make a misrepresentation for some reason or other, and they find out when they're assessing the claim and and prior to this they go you're in breach of term clause 5-9 bang you're out the door right okay under the insurance act 2019 they've introduced what they call proportionate so they have to act proportionately it's it's like an European right but do, do, do you have to fight that you know, I mean, do, do oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, yeah, well, you have to fight right. everything, right? But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Otherwise I mean, if, we'd be out of a job. <laughs> I was just going to say, but I mean, if you're not happy with the decision by the insurance no, company, it, says we won't pay you, I have to get my solicitor, John Lynch, to, to act on my but behalf. But by and a so. large, by a large practice, will tell you that what they say now, there are certain presumptions, you see, 
Um, mm. So if you look at the section innocent, um, where a claim is made under contract insurance and where the consumer has discharged the duty under Section 8, that was love throwing in a little mm. bit extra mm. there, but Section 8 tells you what you're supposed to tell them to answer questions honestly with reasonable care, but where the answer involves an innocent misrepresentation, the other shall be required to pay the claim. Right. So the bottom line is... Um, the bottom line is that if it's an innocent one, then you're okay. Right. If it's a negligent one, in other words, you were careless in, in answering the question, then right. you have to prove... And, and just quickly, John, can this apply to a decision that was made before the... the Act it, came in, no. No, no we're not in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, always a pleasure. Thank Thanks you. very much indeed. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors in Clonmel. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, following my conversation with uh, Tom Wood in the last hour of the programme about St. Patrick's in uh, Cashel, um, Deputy Martin Brown was on to us and he did ask the Health Minister this week about the situation in St. Patrick's. Now he's given me uh, a reply on that. I don't have time right now to, to go into that, but we'll ask Martin to join us on the programme tomorrow. Uh, maybe he can bring us up to speed where that is concerned. Now, it's once thought that physical labour jobs uh, would be the most at risk from the rise of our artificial intelligence, but recent advantages suggest that we can expect disruption right across uh, a vast range of sectors, including knowledge-based industries. It's time now for a monthly tech slot, and delighted to be joined on this subject by Niall Kitson of techcentral.ie. Niall, good morning to you. Good morning. And good to talk to you again. Just just for people who might be certain, artificial inter- intelligence, what exactly is it, Niall? Okay, well... Basically, we are we are looking at the decisions being taken out of the hands of mere humans and either given to machines, either to help us make better decisions or to feed us, you know, decisions that uh, maybe we don't need to make ourselves. So, a pretty good example, one that's uh, coming from Spotify over the next few months, is that they're going to have an AI DJ, which is going to have a look at what you've been listening. And suggest things that are based not just on your playlist, but things like your mood as well. Well. Or things like something else that's happening maybe in the charts that you might find of interest. All based on the data that you submitted through your listening habits. So this is basically what AI does. It takes all the data that is volunteered by you, me, by everyone on a particular subject, makes inferences through algorithms, and feeds those inferences back to you so you can make an informed decision. For example, again, for you, if you wanted to program music or decide, you know, which guests you should have on the show, you can have a look at, okay, I person A, they were on the show on X number of occasions, they got X number of phone calls or engagements in, I can see that maybe we should have them back again. So this is the kind of um, 
effect AI is having on our on our right. day. But lives. it's only as good as the data that it's getting. And I presume because of that, it will evolve the more data it gets then. Is that fair to say? Exactly, yes. And, you know, there is that sort of old saying of junk in, junk out. And that has been a problem with AI through the years, that unless it's got good raw material to work with, then it's not going to work very well. Which is why uh, it's really finding its feet when it comes to sort of repetitive tasks things that there's really not a lot of discussion about. You know, if yes. you want to, you know, build a better desk, I mean, you put in the instructions and you might have somebody actually putting the desk together, but it's the AI going, okay, now add this, now do this, now do this, to create the most efficient way of building that table, right? So it, these things are aids to decision-making, and they're also very good at taking away those very repetitive decisions uh, from organizations right. as well. So I think HR is a really good example um, that you sort of brought up earlier because with HR, there's a consistent flow of information um, from people submitting their CVs, uh, from people going for specific jobs, from people going for internships. It's always information coming into the HR department. And that puts lots of um, demands on them. So on one level, they've got people within within their organization that they want to keep happy, but generally have, you know, fairly mundane requests like, what are my holiday requests? Uh, when is my next salary bump due? Do you have a copy of, you know, the employee handbook? You know, things that can be sorted out in minutes or seconds, but still, you know, yes. they, they add up and they take time out of your day. Um, and then on the opposite side, you've got very sophisticated software that, We'll have a look at the CVs coming in. We'll have a look at the jobs that are within the organization that people are applying for. And before they even get to anyone uh, to make a decision on who to bring in to interview, they've been prioritized, they've been scored, they've been ranked. So you can see who the top candidates are for a job, you know, without... Uh, you know, having to consult HR immediately. Of course, the the only thing, and it seems to be the word of the day on the programme this morning, but I'm just wondering about the nuances of decision-making. I presume it doesn't have that ability, in other words, like the human ability to think. Absolutely not. There's no legislation for common sense, really. Uh, What you, you know, somebody that looks great on paper, well, of course, we all know that that expression, great on paper, uh, in reality, just might be a fit for what you want. Uh, or, you know, God forbid, they might have, you know, given you inaccurate information to work with in the first place. So it's by no means um, a way to make those top-level decisions just yet. But in terms of sort of giving aids to those final uh, decisions, it's very much in that sort of nice, sweet spot, mm. and it's, it's getting there. And I, I'm just still a little vague on, is it a piece of software? And if so, are there many platforms supplying this software? How, how does that work now? Yeah, um, there are so many AI platforms out there. There are so many companies developing their own versions of AI. I mean, I look to Watson, um, and they, they don't so much use the term AI that much. They, they like to say cognitive computing. Uh, it's, it's basically AI. And they came up with a solution that did exactly what I said. But they, they even managed to be able to predict how well a person would perform if they were given a job that they went for. You know, so this is the level of sort of granularity that they were able to get into. Then you look at other companies out there 
uh, like humanly paradox vector. There's an Irish company called Galvia that is getting into this space using chatbots. Um, who will deal with the mundane stuff? Who will deal with the basic mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't need any sort of high profile, um, you know, high level thinking? And that frees up hours and hours of space for HR departments to actually look at things that do require those sort of higher order decisions. And I'm just thinking about something like, um, I don't know, if I want to write a a job application, for example, I would imagine it would be particularly useful there because you just load in all of your your skills and stuff and it comes up with something that's kind of glossy and well well put together. Well, this is at a time where you you can start looking at um, uh, AI products or AI, I don't know, brands, I suppose, like ChatGPT, which is the, the AI du jour. This is a, a conversational generative AI platform. You basically just ask it to do something and it will give it to you. So, you know, you can say, write me an essay on, you know, the Civil War uh, of 2000 words. It'll give you an essay on Civil War in 2000 words. You say, translate it to German, it'll do that. Translate it in French, it'll do that. It will do pretty much anything you want it to. However, they tend not to be brilliantly written. So you can be reading something and, you know, something will be off. Something will be, okay, this is a bit mechanical. There's no actual analysis mm. going on here. You know, I'm just being hit with a load of facts. You know, it's it's correct, but there's no evidence, you know, human intellect going on here. There is a science fiction magazine uh, or science fiction um, uh, webzine, if you will, called uh, Clark's World. They tend to get 1,200 submissions a month, they had to close their last submission window because half of what was coming in were stories generated by AI. So this is kind of the level of things that we're getting into. So, you know, you can use them to, you know, uh, produce things that are very impressive. Do they have that sort of ring of truth about them? No, they don't. But is it only a matter of time? I mean, the evolution of this probably will uh, result in it having something of uh, a a human aspect, I guess, you know, because I know that uh, music technology over the years, when we started off with drum machines, for example, they were very uh, quantized and and perfect, but but nowadays you have a human element to them. And, you know, um, is it only a matter of time, do you think, Niall? Well, some people certainly seem to think so. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, who's a, a very famous sort of futurist, um, had a, a term called the singularity, which was, uh, in his idea, it was the point at which um, artificial and human in- uh, artificial intellect surpasses human intellect. Um, so it's an idea that's been around for mm. a long time. And yeah. there are people out there um, that actually believe we've, we've kind of reached there because conversational AI interfaces are starting to sound uh, very convincing and you can ask them sort of questions and they will give you answers but they're not there's no sort of higher order thinking involved so you know it, it is very much ai makes uh, makes use of the tools that it's given if uh, an ai doesn't have an appreciation of philosophy for example or art or anything like that uh, or aesthetic mm. uh, or you know music uh, in your case mm. it's not going to be able to replicate anything so that sort of you know i'm learning about music is you know nice for us learning about music is you know files that come in binary and have Mm. certain um you know quantities 
which is pretty much how uh, an AI would learn it. So it's a very different model, very different appreciation. Um, will it surpass human intellect? I think you need to have a better definition of human intellect before you can sort of match it. Uh, again, something artificial. It's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Indeed. Niall, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thank you and good morning to you. That's Niall Kitson there of techcentral.ie. It's a marvellous platform, by the way, if you're into tech or what's happening at the moment uh, around the world uh, with computers and uh, artificial intelligence and digital stuff and all of that. Anyway, AI, where is it all going, would you think? 1800 The text and WhatsApp is only three three double one double three double one. All right then, uh, Fran, would you be so kind as to announce? You now there's a meeting by the Killinall Community Group this evening at seven p.m. in St Mary's Hall to discuss traffic calming, pedestrian crossings, streetlights, and spring cleaning. And our councillors and the local local guardy have been invited to attend. We'd like as many people as possible to attend both outside of the town as well as the people from Killinall. The traffic and speed passing in our streets is a huge problem, says Bonnie, uh, to us today. So that's this evening, 7pm, St Mary's Hall in lovely Killinall. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Now, the first episode of the second series of a TJ Carr country music show produced and directed by O.S. Mead, the videographer, airs tonight at half past nine. The up. Coming episodes of McBracken's Viva Kjoltira series features videos from a host of really well-known um, local figures from Ireland's rather thriving country music scene. And I'm delighted to say that McBracken joins me now. Good morning to you, Mick. How are you, Fran? And thanks for having me on the show. And uh, I really appreciate uh, uh, you get the time. So. You're, you're very welcome indeed, Mick. The majority of the filming for this series, it was shot out of doors. And there's a lot of beautiful scenery attached to this as well, Mick. Yeah, it's, um, we shot um, 33 brand new videos outdoor uh, from north, south, east and west. And uh, some of the locations that we have, we say, like even for all the links we've done in Munningar, Belvedere House and Gardens and Bird Castle and Tullinallian, we were down all over the place. And um, we even got down as far as Limerick to do a very funny video with yourself and Muriel. And thanks very much. It was great crack. <laughs> You're very welcome indeed. We were delighted uh, to do it as well. What? Why do you think this, uh, this series is so popular make is it the mixture of the scenic videos and the songs and the artists or what is it do you think well it's all it's all completely shot on, on outdoors but um the one people that i have to thank for all of this is um Marnie cullen is the commissioner editor was say in tg carroll she's really my boss and she uh liked to say a pilot i done many years ago and only for tg carroll and the likes of Marnie cullen uh, I would not have this series, you say, and um, my presenter, Joni Keady, but it's completely different, and everything is shot outdoors, even all the links. So we're not clashing with any of the other stuff that's on TG Cahar. And as we all know here right now, TG Cahar is the home for country music. So, And I'd like to thank everyone in TG Cahar and all the staff there, because, um, listen, without them, I would not have this show, and that is gospel. How important is TG Cahar to the music industry, particularly to the country music industry, do you think, Mick? Well, Fran, look at it this way. There is no country music uh, on any other station, OK? And only for TG Cahar, we say, 
what they're doing with, say, for country music, right? You would never see anyone. I'll give an example. I think this might be your first time on TG Car. Am I correct? Or, or I, th- I think it could well be, Mick. Yeah, yeah, I think and well we be, have yeah. 33 brand new videos. And we have 33, I think, people or artists that was never on TG Car. And please God, going forward, like if it goes well for us, uh, I'm looking at young artists, we say a new artist, and so is Maureen Cullen, we say on TG Car. But uh, our show is completely different. People have maybe one complaint about that it goes so quick in half an hour, mm. but we have 12 half hours going out every Tuesday night at 9.30. And I'd like to thank everyone, all the artists, including yourself, and all the people that help me, and my two good cameramen, Stephen Rosney off the back, actually, was the brother of Kieran Rosney, and Mark Ben, as we say, and Ross, my sound guy. We had a very, very small crew, but we shot it all from last June to the end of October. It was go, go, go. But it, listen, I can't thank... I can't thank people, and I hope to like the new series. The first two shows, I might see some of the videos already, mm. but from uh, show three, uh, three on is uh, most of all my new videos. I think you were in Program 10, I do duets, but I am looking at people. I'm trying to give everyone a chance here. I can't put everyone in, but it's Yeah, but it's you see, very, that's, very that's what I love about it, Mick, is it's not the usual suspects. Uh, you're, you're, you're involving younger people out there, people who are looking to, to get a bit of a break as well. Was that very deliberate, Mick? Well, look at it this way. As you know me, Fran, I'm a small operator, and I started 30 years ago this September... I've done my very first video with John Hogan and I used to build the carnivals long ago with Tony Allen and Tom, Tom Allen. Yeah. So, like, listen, I, I I have to give a mixture here, but uh, some of the people that we've done this year that has never been on television or never on TG Car, they were so nervous. But when they got in for an hour or two, like um, like we done your video was saying, we had great crack for say as well, but you have to give everything time. And as far as I know... We do a pretty good job, and all of the artists, that have, they have not seen their videos at all yet. I've seen, seen nothing out to anyone, so mm. they can't wait to see their series. So it will be a sound for 12 weeks every Tuesday night at 9.30. Brilliant, Holly. Now, part of the success, and God knows I know this personally, yourself and Steve, I mean, the crack is mighty. Is that a deliberate thing as well, that you make it lighthearted and it's a bit of fun, and that comes across then? Put this with you, Fran. Um, they call me, we say, bad mix sometimes ago, and they call me, uh, uh, once I have the tea, I'll stay going. But, um, and listen, I'm only human too. Listen, you have the best ideas. I remember when I was doing all the Fast and Allen videos with Tony Allen, we'd have three quarters of the video done, and we'd have to finish a little bit, maybe an idea. So, like, I'm only human. I can't think of everything. But I think we leave everyone very, very happy, as you will witness when we've done your video. And mm-hmm. it is, I'm not just going on about your videos, other great videos as well, we say, some artists have never got videos and like listen I'm only human as well everyone is great when the video is done but before it's done so this variation of uh, new videos and it's all we have some fantastic uh, scenery this time on our new videos and it, I think that uh, tells for itself but as the saying goes uh, half the time Maureen Cullen was saying TG mm. Carr for allowing me to do this because listen I am a small business company here in Munningar and I lost everything during COVID like everything but it's a uh, I will hopefully go on forward with say like I want to give young people a chance because you know why? 
TG Carroll gave me a chance to say what I'm doing with my new show, and I want to give people that was never on that's, television that's a chance. That's great. So, but you've been, uh, I mean, you're playing yourself down here, for God's sake. Bink. I mean, you've been involved with, with Nathan's um, yeah. videos right from the very start. The High Kings ones, particularly yeah. impressive. And yeah. we all yeah. find you a pain in the ass, because you'll make us go back and do it time and time yeah. again, and multiple I'll takes. I'll tell you something I'm, very funny, and I won't delay it. Uh, no I, problem. 30 years with Foster Nolan, and Mick Foster calls me one more, because I'm never happy. <laughs> And even with Stephen Rosney was there this year filming and we were going flat out. We'd be walking out to the Jeep and Stephen would say, Jeez, a nice shot there we'll get it, Mick. We never look at her watches. We stay go, go. But I think we give value, we say, to everyone. We treat everyone the same. And I started, I've done Nathan Carter's very first video yeah. and I've done Derek Ryan's very first video. And you know something? I get on great with all the boys and... Uh, Mike Denver, Declan Nerney, the whole lot. I'm leaving out someone here who say I, but I can't mention everyone. But they all know that I've worked with everyone in the business. Everyone. Of course you did indeed. What, was it the High Kings you were telling me you froze them? They were, was it yeah. out on the cliff somewhere? <laughs> yeah, that was, you were... That was what when Steve League was up on Donny Gall was yeah. there. I had to drive for the rally the night before. And we used, had to send, that was the month of November, and we had to send the boys in to, uh, to the Jeeps. And we'd give a shout at them and we said to come back out when, when we were ready. Yes. And it was absolutely freezing but that was a great I think that was one of the great videos we say in that year like the look the way I look at it is this uh, so many people I give an example we were down in a place called Loop Head we say the, the Bridge of the Rosses or something right no one has ever heard tell of it down there in, in Clare it's absolutely fabulous Sleeve League all these places uh, the burden everything like what I, what I brought across in this uh, video I didn't bring in very first stories. So said there's a couple of stories in it, like with the Rosneys and um, the the last video in this the series we've done it with the young Rosneys and Stephen, mm. and it's called Old MacDonald. It's absolutely great, and we've done a video called The Brown Bread in North Cottage. But the thing about it is, I wanted to let the artists themselves this year we say to sell themselves, and by God, they did. That's brilliant. Now, tonight, I think, is it Robert Mazzell and my old friend T.R. Dallas and Tony Allen? Is no, that... well, let's see. Do you know something? My list is inside. No, I think it's Derek Ryan, is John Derek Hogan, Ryan? Bernie Heaney, and Apollos Police now uh, I have it and I'm inside. But, yeah, no yeah there's 72 videos in total, and there's 33 brand new ones. And uh, But look at it this way. Only for T.G. Carter, uh, these people would never be seen. Mm. Mm. Never be seen. And it's going out at a good time, we say, as well. Listen, there's so much going on out there, but the country music scene, we say, is, is pretty good at the moment. Like, I remember when I was a young fella, I used to build the carnivals with uh, Tom Allen and Tony Allen, and that's not today or yesterday. But uh, listen, I have to thank um, all the artists that, that, that helped me out and all the people and the great staff in T.G. Cahar. Uh, sadly, pretty. I don't speak the language, but um, people have to realise one thing. Uh, without T.G. Carter, would say, uh, you would see no country music. Well, it's great to know what's happening anyway, Mick. So it's tonight, it's kicking off half past nine tonight. And I'm yeah, sure and everybody... Yeah, 12 weeks. Every... And listen, Fran, I can't thank you enough for bringing me on. Sure, it's it's uh, always a pleasure, Mick. <laughs> I have sheets in front of me here and my eyes are flying around the place. <laughs> <laughs> you look after yourself, Mick. Uh, thank and, you and so much. The person I have to thank is Joan E.K. She's brilliant at her job. Brilliant. That, that's your, your presenter uh, on, yeah. on the lives All right. And I uh, wish Muriel and yourself the best of luck going forward. You're, you're very kind indeed. Garmila Mahagat, Mick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, bye bye to you now. That's uh, the great Mick Bracken there, who's a legend in uh, the country music business for sure. That's it for me. Emma produced Ali, looks after our content. Stephen is on the way, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye bye. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Are you 